Welcome to Australian Survivor Archives, the only podcast going over the complete history of Australian Survivor from Whaler's Way right through to the current day. We are back for a very special episode, a clip show, a show with clips. That's generally how it works. And it's just me today, just Ben sitting in the chair by my lonesome to introduce you to what you are about to hear through your speakers for the next couple of hours or so. Just like we did with season one a couple of months ago, we are now back to bring you best bits of season two. Part one today, we're going to bring you the best bits of the interviews that we did throughout season two of Australian Survivor. Now, if you're wondering what season two is, of course, that is Celebrity Survivor that aired on 2006 on Channel 7. And we are here to bring you all the interview clips that we did throughout that one. So across that season, we spoke to a myriad of people who either appeared on the show or who were involved in the show. So to give you a bit of a taste here of who you were going to hear from, you're going to hear from the executive producer of that season, David Mason, who brings a great deal of information about the behind-the-scenes aspect of the show, how it even got out and how they cast the people, the hosts, all that kind of fun stuff. You're going to hear from the very first boot of that season, Kim Johnson-Herjavac, Great stories there that she told during that interview. You're going to hear from Fiona Horn. You're going to hear from Amber Petty. You're going to hear from the legendary Wayne Gardner, not talking about motorbike racing, of course, but talking about him being on Survivor. Unique interview there from him. Jay Stewart, the composer of the theme for that season. Another great chat with a composer during that season, of course. David Oldfield, the man with all the nicknames, of course, that had out throughout that season. You're going to hear from Justin Melvey, maybe my favorite interview of the entire season after we tracked him down the runner-up of that season. The winner, Guy Leach, first time we've ever been able to speak to a winner of Australian Survivor. And you will also hear bits from the reunion, the exclusive season two reunion. Of course, season two never had a reunion on Australian Survivor. So we were the very first show that were able to do that all these years later to bring them all together and have a nice little chat there. So once again, similar to season one, it's a couple of hours long. It's going to take a trip down memory lane. And of course, if you enjoy these clips, remember you can listen to the entirety of these interviews out there through our channel. I'll touch on that a little bit at the end to remind you of where you can get those. But sit back, relax, and listen to the best of Australian Survivor Archives Part 3 as we bring you the best of our interviews from our coverage of Season 2. Hi, this is David Mason, and you're listening to Australian Survivor Archive. The first season aired in Australia the same year, of course, as, as the US season one in Borneo, because it was they were very they maybe even intersected. I, I can't remember mm. quite the air dates, but it's and it was just it was so I, I, fresh. And I, and I can and I I can absolutely tell you because when I was filming the first series of the Mole in Tasmania, I heard about this this show, this British show called. Um, uh, Expedition Robinson, I think it was called. Yep. And I thought, yep. wow, that sounds amazing. And I got on the phone to um, um, to Charlie Parsons. So he had a company then, Planet 24, with uh, Bob Geldof. I got on the phone to him. I'm, I'm in Tasmania. It's late at night, and I'm on the phone to them saying, hey, you know, can we get the rights? Um, and they were said, actually, we've just started talking to... CBS and this guy Mark Burnett and until all that's tied up we're not going to be talking about any other rights wow well just keep us keep us posted I want this show I want this show Um, and of course by the time CBS got it they in effect controlled world rights on on the brand that's amazing so even from that early stage obviously with with your background in this you knew that 
Survivor was going to be, or, or, or like you said, it wasn't known as Survivor back then, but you knew that this concept for a show was going to be a massive hit. I think it was because we'd, we'd just started filming The Mole and um, we had no idea how it was going to work out. We didn't, we had no idea really how these shows were meant to be made. Um, so we were just winging it. Um, and there could be a whole series, frankly, on how we got away with it. But um, we were winging it. But I thought this is, this is, there's something exciting here about not having complete control of a TV show. Normally, we have complete control. In a show like this or The Survivor, you don't have control, and that makes exciting TV. So when I heard about Expedition Robinson, as it was, I thought that's got the same degree of lack of producer control. Having said that, the producer always has control with God. You know, we manipulate, <laughs> we, we pull the strings. But meanwhile, you pull the strings in such a way that you have to allow unpredictability to make the gold. Yeah. Um, so you create unpredictability, if you can put it like that. And so when I, uh, clearly Survivor has that ability to create unpredictability. Um, and I, I just, I fell in love with it from the get-go. I was going to actually ask you that. I was going to say, what was your involvement um, with not only Grant's casting, but then with Celebrity Survivor, with, with Dicko being casted? We're interested to know about right. that as well. Okay. So um, Stephen and I know talked about, you know, the, they had a sort of nine-month run-up to, to making, yeah. We had six weeks. Wow. Six weeks from the decision to make it to rolling cameras. Six weeks. Six weeks. It's crazy. I mean, it's just, it's just insane. They play Survivor um, longer you... than that now, David, on Channel 10. They, they literally play yeah. the game longer than that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and we shot in 15 days. Yeah. Um, but but that, 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 we'll, we'll talk about all that later. But so six weeks. Um as a, as a rush decision, there's a programming hole in three months' time. We're going with Celebrity Survivor. Um, I didn't cast Dicko. Um, I don't think he was right for the show. I don't think anyone thought he was right for the show. But <clears throat> um, he'd just come off Idol. Seven had nabbed him, didn't want him on, on 10 on Idol, so nabbed him and didn't have a show for him. So, right, we'll chuck him on this. So he was available. He was signed for the network. Let's get him doing this show. He was a fish out of water. But, you know, uh, the show still, yeah, it worked in its own way with him there. But, yeah, he was a fish out of water. I, I would be intrigued. I, I, I want to get to the point about that six-week period and sort of how it came about in a sec. But do you, you say you don't have an input into, into Dicko as a host, but as someone who, I guess, is involved in these shows, uh, you've worked with a variety of hosts, you know, would you have had a, an ideal candidate on Seven's, uh, I guess, payroll at that point if you had have had a chance to put a few names in the hat? Well, rewind 15 years. Um, to be honest, I don't remember even thinking about an alternative because Dicko was just handed to us saying, this is this is what he's going to be doing. You know, mm -hmm. we, we need to keep him on the network, um, highlight him, promote him, He's going to be the host. Go with it. You know, it would actually be quite interesting in hindsight, Grant Bowler. I mean, he was a great host of The Amazing Race. Kind of, it was a bit more lighthearted than yeah. uh, he was yeah. on The Mole. But, I mean, kind of that balance, Grant Bowler would have been a great Survivor host. I think at the time Grant was in L.A. Right. Um, doing, um, pursuing his, um, his, more of his acting. 
He's probably um, lost about that time. He was uh, getting killed as a ship yeah. captain on the, the boat on the way to the island. <laughs> yeah, and also, also we'd just done the, um, um, yeah, the final ep- final series that seven that we did for seven on um, of the mole with Tom Williams, mm. which was again rubbish. A casting, a casting <laughs> mistake. Um, he took his shirt and off so and Dancing Rick- with the Stars, and all of a sudden everybody loved him, right? So it was kind of like, come on, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, not the world's best with the cast. Again, fish out of water. Um, and the audience thought so as well. Was it his idea or your idea or somebody's idea to do the whole play hard, play safe, play to win in the challenges? And two, you talk about dealing with him off camera. Is, is Dicko a bit of a diva? Like, can you give us some fun Dicko off the camera stories at all? Oh, um, I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm sure I'll drag up a few, but the... the um, <clears throat> The original saying, and I, I couldn't actually remember what it was. You know, play hard, play to win. We wanted to use that outwit, outlast that play. We weren't allowed to, right? Because um, um, that CBS owns that. We weren't allowed to use that. We had to think of something else. I mean, you know, having a having a phrase or something is always going to be used for a catchphrase. He came up with that. I think I can't remember. That probably. We thought, yeah, let's just run with that. That'll work. Um, D- Dicko. Um, Dicko likes to enjoy himself <laughs> in an evening. <laughs> a few mates, if he happens to be near a bar. So, um, so yeah, he would, he would, he would enjoy, he would enjoy unwinding in the evenings. Um, and but, but he was actually also professional. And the following day, yep. By midday, he'd be on set. <laughs> no, he'd be, he'd, no he, he was not, he was absolutely professional. He'd deliver when he needed to. He would deliver, and he was always there, always available, always contributing. Um, the flip side of that is that uh, yeah, he, he enjoyed a drink. Wow, we'll, we'll definitely have to. Uh, I should I should tell you one thing though. The last night after last night, we're having um, um, a crew party down on the beach of the hotel in Port Vila and in Port Vila, in Vanuatu, you're, you're allowed fireworks. You're allowed to buy fireworks. So the crew bought fireworks like you wouldn't believe and setting them off on the beach. Not only that, but with, we had Dick on one side and a bunch of them on the other side that, you know, 50 meters apart on the beach, firing fireworks at each other, <laughs> like missile launches. Wow. One that Dicko let loose. I do remember it was him um shot off skimmed straight across the beach one of the camera guys had to lift his leg for it to go underneath it um nearly nearly took off a camera guy's leg another one shot up landed on the thatch of one of these um burros and nearly set the whole thing alight <laughs> so dicko dicko with a few beers and um bunch of bunch of blokes letting loose yeah he was he was definitely one of the gang he was not a diva Wow. Wow. I see. Look, there you go, Matt. New layer to Dicko. Um, yeah, this is, this is, the, and, this and is the time, silver end, now. End of the shoot. End of the shoot. I'm the EP. I'm just like, for God's sake, stop this. You can't do this. <laughs> <laughs> all discipline gone. It's like, as long as we play hard, play safe and play to <laughs> yeah, win, it's all right. Yeah, yeah, it's a playing safe bit. But, yeah, you know. yeah. He didn't really believe in that. He's just bullshitting the whole time when he's saying that every single time. <laughs> Cast Away was playing it both ways. So they were getting their 
um, fees from two different networks in one country, in one territory at the same time. Thank you very much. Um, and they, they, I think they felt that the celebrity version, which um, is not the real version, is um, yeah, wouldn't wouldn't destroy the original format in any given territory. And I think to some extent they're right. If um, Seven had renewed it and renewed it and had it ongoing, it would have probably damaged, would have tainted the brand, no question, because it's not the same. It's not played in the same way. Um, and, you know, a lot of that and a lot of those stories I'll happily tell you about, about how it's different. Um, but it would have tainted the brand. It really would. If I can just talk to you about Ben, the SAS guy, why is he there? Bums on seats. <laughs> okay. Just, so... just to get another person in there that we didn't have to pay as much. <laughs> okay. So, so, so David, this is one thing that like, and this is what I want to get to the bottom of. So I've always said, and this is pure speculation that you had 12 people, 12 celebrities set someone at the last second has pulled out and there's been a scramble to get someone. And they're like, Hey, here's Ben Wynn. He's a former SIS guy. Just get him in there and, and, and put him in and we'll get him out straight away. What? Cause it, it just, it never made sense. He was never playing for a charity. There was he never, so much of that show that doesn't make sense. <laughs> but he, he never started the game. He never he was never playing for a charity. What was Ben Wynn doing on Celebrity Survivor? Okay. Um, and this is this is from my memory from all that time ago. Two things. One, he was a lot cheaper than a celeb. So we I, we had a budget. Of, you know, we could we could we could buy twelve celebs, and that's it. We needed more bums, which is why we had people coming back into the show, obviously. Um, but I needed someone else. So just oh, the numbers just weren't going to work. So we thought, okay, in a bit mole-esque, we'll chuck a spanner in, 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 in a couple of eps in. Um, and ideally, um, this buff-looking, um, supremely able bloke will go into the girls' team. And just well, kick up a bit of. Ooh. That was all the idea. That's all thinking. Just check in something unexpected. And the the thing about Celebrity Survivor, because there were no real rules, we were able to be looser with the format, such that it was. We could play around like that. And I know it's. I'm an absolute Survivor fan and absolutely beholden to the integrity of Survivor and really didn't want to fuck around with the format. Don't fuck the format. On the other hand, we kind of had to a little bit. Um, and it, it pains me that we introduced things like that, which were, and bringing contestants back, which we'll talk about later. Fucking the format like that was not good for the show, was not good for Survivor as a whole. So where... Just getting back with Ben, where did he actually come from? Because I'm assuming, like, I've tried to track Ben down, and it's almost, uh, it's almost like he doesn't exist. I started to think maybe it was a false name they use, and this is a true. I've, I've, they call me the Bloodhound David on this show. Like, mm. I'm, I can track down everyone and anyone. Ben Wynn is like a ghost. It's like he doesn't exist. There's no footprint of him ever existing on this planet. So, which started to get me to think, well, there must be more to it. Um, is that even his real name? Is he a former SIS guy? And 
how did he even come to get on a show? Like, I'm assuming he didn't have an agent where someone's like, oh, here's this bloke, because he, he wasn't a celebrity. So did someone know him? Or was I even started to think maybe he was the, the guy that was going to be giving the survival tips to the celebrities, and then the in, next second he's getting a Guernsey and saying, mate, you're on the show. Um, mm. I, I just, yeah, I, it just I, doesn't uh, make sense. I cannot, I mean, I hate to say I cannot remember. Where the hell did he come from? Um... I might. I think I might have come across him from the mole. He might have been a, um, a contestant, a, a um, possible contestant on the mole. So he might have been in my books. Um, but to be honest, I can't remember. Um, he for us, he was no big deal. <laughs> it was no big deal. Um, it was just another person to make up the numbers so we could get to the 13 apps. Well, well, David, I think I'm going to need you to go back through those books because I need a contact number or email <laughs> or something. Because I tell you, what, it is my life mission to talk to Ben Wynn because I, I need to talk to him. So just to find out what the hell, like what his experience was even being on this celebrity show when he's not a celebrity. So if you have any details for him, um, definitely would, would love to hear that. I've, I've just gone into my address book because, you know, address book's last. He's not there. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> well, it's been a great time having you on the show today, Dave. We're only using him for yeah. one thing. So <laughs> thanks for your time on Australian Survivor Archives. Um, <laughs> fat lot of good you are. Was there anyone that sort of you got close? I mean, the, the famous one that sort of uh, Amber talked a lot about was uh, mm. Anna Kornikova was apparently mm. very much touted. Yeah. I mean, did, was there anyone that you can sort of say that was maybe, you know, very close to getting or that you really were trying to get and maybe just couldn't get at the last minute? Do you remember sort of any other names that were kind of being thrown out there during that time? Um, <clears throat> Anna Kornikova was the only one that we were prepared to sink a truckload of money into. Right. But she came with a condition that she could get the truckload of money and she'd be out after three apps. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. And we couldn't, we, we couldn't, in all honesty, con the audience like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it just wasn't right. And so, <clears throat> and pardon that, we would, we would have needed her for the end anyway, but we couldn't, we couldn't get around that. I guess it's a bit similar to what happens uh, many years later in Celebrity Apprentice when they got David Hasselhoff over. He was only in it for a very short time and clearly had done a sweetener deal mm. where they'd paid him a certain amount of money. He would only be in it for this long. Uh, in a show that's meant to be, you know, you get voted out, whatever, but yeah. it was clearly a sweetener deal where you're only in it for a certain amount of time, which was clearly what Anna yeah. Kornikova wanted all those years earlier with her sweetener deal on Celebrity mm. Survivor. Mm. Um, and you know some shows you can do, but you don't fuck around with Survivor like that. No. You know then then quite apart from that, everyone else, all the other contestants, then know that, and then their contribution is devalued. Mm. So it's just it's unfair all around. Talking talking of guy winning, that that's my big regret. Not that he won, um, or Justin came second. But the two people who had been voted out and then brought back in ended up winning coming second. That was unfair. Well, and I didn't see- think I didn't think for a moment that when we're thinking about sending people out, bringing them back in, didn't occur to me for a moment that the jury would allow them to <laughs> yeah. win having had that advantage. 
your season, I don't know if you know this, David, holds a very unique distinction in the yeah, history I, I read of Global that. Survivor. I read that. Yeah. yeah, I've yeah. been the only thing that every player voted out. Yeah. Ever. Excellent. That's a crazy stat. Talk about We're... fucking the format. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it is something we can never change. Like, I give you a lot of raps on so many things you did right on the show, and I know you said you just didn't no, think it would happen, no, but it is such I a will shame. T- I, will t- I will take it. That fucking the format wrecked the show. Mm. Um, didn't wreck all of it, but it kind of did, and I regret that. Mm. You know, it, it made a travesty of, of what the show really is, um, and I, do, I really do regret that, and I regret the impact that had particularly on the image and Nicole, mm. who should have won, mm. frankly. And, um, um, and I'm sorry they didn't. Frankly, being on a beach, you'd know, you'd know this, Matt, being on a beach for a period of time is so unsexy. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, it's just your bits are all over the place. Um, you're feeling crap. Um, you're sunburned or you've got mozzy bites and you're not feeling sexy. Mm. And most of the time, you know, we, we try hard to make people look sexy. Look, we, it, okay, so here's the thing. Tribal council, we want everyone to look glam. <laughs> Frankly, you're on a beach. <laughs> you're salty. You're sandy. Mm. You haven't got any clothes. We want you to look glam. So we broke the rules, if there were any rules. So do you know what? Um, give yourself a shower and um, there's a bit of makeup there as well. Wow. You know, make yourselves look nice for TV. This is a TV set piece. Then you're going back to the beach. So, yeah, we 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 broke. If that was the rule, we broke it. So they had so, showers. So would that, yeah, would, would that happen at every, like, before every trouble cancel that they would get to have a shower and, and put up put on some makeup? There were, there were a couple of times just when they looked so mm. ratty that you think, oh, this is not attractive. And did did any in particular kind of flaunt that every time? Like I always look ready. Make me have a shower. No, no, no. It was purely. Um, it was a kind of one of those privileged things of guys. You've had a shit of a day. You know, mm. I know. I say a shower. You know, basically a hose pipe. Yeah. Um, <laughs> off a tree somewhere. Oh, luxury, fresh water. Um, and it was just a sort of bit of, bit of basicness. I mean, water. We talk about water. There was a. a each camp had a big barrel of water buried in the sand with a lid on it, you know, of you know, 400 litres of fresh water topped up every day. They could have as much water as they want. They had both. They, can, they, they could give themselves showers, frankly, cold water showers, just like that. There's nothing new about it. It's just, you know, just we don't want people getting infections and just mm, getting rashes or cold cuts or whatever. One thing that I learned from Stephen, which fascinated the hell out of me, um, was that he did admit that there was a, you know, a time or two where to get them in a bikini, he may have given them a chocolate or two, like, hey, get in a bikini. Did you ever have to kind of do that with no, any of the we contestants? We never, never need to do that, no. We did have a time, <laughs> uh, which I discovered that, um, so we're filming in Vanuatu, where we're not on a private territory. There's a, there's a village probably 800 metres away. Um, and we asked the locals who were employed um, on on the production. We asked them just not to to swing to swing past or whatever, just to stay clear. But obviously, some of the contestants had got to know some of the locals because they'd seen them around, um, and 
the locals, some of them, felt really sorry for the contestants who were really hungry. And so they would come, we found out about this. They'd come and leave packets of biscuits in the bush. <laughs> Wow! I said, "Oh God, look, clever!" And or you know, behind the dunny, because they'd you know um, clean out the dunny or whatever, and they'd leave packets of biscuits. And I found out about this. And I said, "Oh God, I'm going to have to stop this." I can, I, I, I can just, I can just picture him leaving like a packet a of mask or something. Yeah, yeah, I can just picture it leaving a packet of ice vovo for Guy <laughs> Leach after he. You know. And and I just said I, I pulled the the contestant together and I said, look guys, I know you need and I know you want it, but it's kind of not a good look. <laughs> Asking the locals for food, breaking the rules, it's just you know, just, just kind don't of do it right. I, I could I could just so picture, we yeah. we slowly clamped it down without a song and dance. I, I, I can just picture a guy leads at tribal council. He's like, oh, I've got a bit of coconut caught in my teeth. Yeah, exactly. You know? <laughs> from the, or in the background of a shot, there's a nice Vovo wrapper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seriously, I've never seen it. Wow. Um, okay. It's, yeah, I just, I tend not to watch too much TV anymore. Um, I saw a bit of it. Um, had a chat to Stephen Tate when they were making it and wishing him good luck. Um, and I've, I saw the title sequence and stuff, and then I thought, oh, well, I can't bother to get into this. <laughs> so no, I haven't seen it. I'm sorry. <laughs> you actually, can I just quickly say, Matt, really quickly before you say it, you've actually sat here longer and spoken and talked and seen Matt longer than he was ever on Survivor. So you know, <laughs> <laughs> he, he likes he likes reminding me that I was a uh, first boot. Matt, but, you've uh, got the easiest comeback. You just simply said to me, Ben, you never played. Shut up. Well, I- I, I could be mean like that, but, uh, you know, I'm not that type of guy. No, I'm going to tell you a story, but without names. Okay. So, hmm. so the whole shoot has ended. All the contestants are back in. Um, or, or no, this particular time was after a contestant came off the show. So once they were no longer in the show. And they're back in the hotel. And they um, they hang out, I think, in Dicko's room in the hotel, and went off the toilet. Stayed there quite a long time, and Dicko oh, after they left, and Dicko went to bed, and realised, holy shit, <laughs> there is a one foot long green turd. <laughs> stuck in my toilet. <laughs> it's quite clear that this person has not had a dump for about two weeks. And this is what they've delivered, and it's green. <laughs> oh. And he is there. He said, he went out, he had to find a stick. <laughs> and he's there with a stick trying to get this thing down his toilet. And it wouldn't break up. It was just rotten. Solid, and it did come out of someone's gut. That's what Survivor does to you. I'm just picturing Dicker now with the stick side. Play hard, play safe, and play to win as he's trying but to get the don't do it in my toilet. <laughs> <laughs> All right, okay. I'm so glad that we've gotten you on at the beginning of this season now because my goal 
over the next however many episodes and however many of these plays we get on, who did the shit in Dicko's toilet? Was it you, Fiona Horn? Was it you, Nicole? Like, I want to know. Oh, jeez. Wow. Good luck luck getting that name. Good luck also ending an episode on any better terms than that. Hi, this is Kim Johnson-Hergevac and you're listening to Australian Survivor Archives. 15 years ago, uh, I remember I'd, I'd done, I think, three seasons of Dancing with the Stars in Australia. I'd won a season and, you know, Survivor was going to be on Channel 7 and I think they were like, oh, it could be good to get, you know, someone from the ballroom who's, you know, seen to be always hair and makeup in those fabulous outfits what she'd be like, you know, stuck, you know, in Survivor. So when they called me, uh, it was actually kind of funny. My my manager called me and said, they'd like you to do Survivor. And I said, oh, I'm just not an outdoorsy type of girl. Like I've never been camping. I just don't think it, I'd be very good at it. And my manager said to me, oh, well, they told me there's basic camping equipment. And I was like, oh, okay. And then I went to, I think it was the Logies or something. And I saw one of the heads from Channel 7 there. And he's like, oh, Kim, Kimmy, we're so happy, you know, you're going to do Survivor, which I hadn't signed on to do it yet. <laughs> and I said, oh, I'm just a bit nervous. And he goes, no, there's basic camping equipment. It's not like the regular Survivor. It's different, you know, you, you're not going to be sort of slumming it as much. And I was like, oh, okay. So I get to the airport. That's when I first met all the other celebrities. And they flew us business class, of course. And I was sitting next to Wayne Gardner, the mm-hmm. motorcycle. Uh, and I'm sitting next to him and I've got a glass of champagne and he's like, oh, sorry, are you nervous, blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, all the other, you know, contestants are sizing each other up, especially the girls. They were really sizing each other up. The guys are a bit more laid back. And I'm sitting next to Wayne and I said, yeah, I'm really excited. You know, I'm nervous, but at least we've got basic camping equipment. So that makes me feel better. And as the plane's going up, he looks at me and goes, what are you talking about? There's like no basic camping equipment. And I'm just like, oh, my God, like down the champagne. <laughs> and like they basically had lied to me to get wow. me. <laughs> well, well, Kim, it's actually quite funny because that's one of the, the the great moments, I guess, in that first episode that, that you know, we sort of remember when, when you're sitting there and you're like, oh, I, I thought there was, yeah, tents and, and fresh water. And, and I think it's Amber Petty was like, well, you're wrong about the tents and you're wrong about the water. <laughs> I know. They were all making fun of me. I mean, I didn't really care. I had no idea what they were running to. I'm just like, what on earth are they doing? Because all of the girls just started to like take off. And I know they were probably trying to find things and explore, but I'm like, I don't know where they're running to, but there is nothing here. Like, like this is a waste of time looking for stuff. (laughs) Yeah, I was not expecting there to be no shelter or like, you know, anything. I remember... I remember like before I went into it, my mum said to me, Kim, you've never been camping. Like, how do you think you can do this? <laughs> so I said, I know. And actually my mum and dad had just, they'd been getting a divorce. So my dad sort of wasn't really around. And my brother just got married. So I had like no guys to like help me figure out how to tie things. Mum was like, I think you should like learn how to make a little lean to thing or she didn't even call it that but you need to learn to tie some knots or do some basic things so I was like actually you're right so I called my local boy scouts hall wow in Padstow Heights and I called them up and and that show the Dance with Stars finale had just been on so it was pretty like a big thing and I come from Padstow Heights which is a pretty small place <laughs> 
And I call and I say, uh, do you, I just wanted to see if you have a meeting on this week and I'd love to come. And I was like, oh, is it about your son? I was like, no, it's actually me. And I couldn't really tell them what I was doing. And I said, it's actually for myself. I need to learn to tie some knots and some basic camping things. And maybe I thought you and the kids could, I could just join one of your classes. So I think they were just so intrigued. They allowed me to go in and I went there with all these like 10 year old kids and the, the teacher and they taught me, I remember I said, well, how do I, you know, start a fire with two sticks? And they're like, you don't do that. You take a flint. So <laughs> yeah. they, they were like, where are you going? And I'm like, I'm going camping. And they're like, well, you take a tent. I'm like, but what if I can't take a tent? So they actually taught me to tie knots. So um, I felt really good about that, that I could tie some knots and they, sort of, they taught me how to make a lean-to with some sticks. So I felt like I had that going in. And then I remember Fiona, the white witch, yep. kind yep. of took over the, the alpha role. And I remember I went up to her and I was like, oh, I can tie some knots. And she's like, just go fetch the leaves. And I was just like, <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't sound like Fiona at all. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I was just like, Oh my God, like I know how to tie knots. So I felt like I was just, you know, I was trying to like help and pull my weight, but there was like quite strong other female forces in there that like really wanted to, you know, take control. So I was just like, okay, you do that. I was struggling with what to take for the luxury item, but I remember lying in bed one night in my Egyptian cotton Sheridan, like, you know, thousand count. <laughs> and I was like, yep. this is it. If I feel safe, like if I can take my sheet, I can wrap myself up in it at night. I could maybe use it for shelter. You know, in my sh- I'm going to take my sheet. I can cocoon myself pretty much. So I was pretty proud of my luxury item. I was going to take a toothbrush, but the Boy Scouts told me that coconut husk is good to clean the sheet. Ah, right. Yeah. So they let you take the sheet then. So that was your luxury item. Yeah, I took this Egyptian cotton very expensive sheet and that was like you know my luxury thing and I didn't really have many like long sweaters or anything like that and it was cold at night and I remember the first night I said oh I got the sheet out and I think Fiona grabbed it she goes great we've got something to lie on and she just took my sheet I was like oh my god I'm gonna start turning like and going crazy like that's my sheet but I didn't say anything at the time so I'm there the first night just lying on top of my sheet with like nothing on just like this is my sheet I should be like wrapped up in it and then like it just like that became like the communal sheet you know we were using it as shade in the day and I'm just like looking and then it rained and I'm like my sheet's getting wet (laughs) (laughs) my thousand count Egyptian cotton everything basically (laughs) I was starting to turn over the sheet (laughs) <laughs> I ended up leaving it with them actually as a gift, parting gift. Right. But yeah, it was it was getting like awkward and I was just like, oh gosh, this is it's not really in my nature to be forming these alliances and like trying to I don't know. It's just I know that that's what the show is, but yeah, part of me wishes I had have stuck it out a little bit more. But um it sort of worked out perfect because when I got booted off, I didn't have to stay in Vanuatu as part of the tribe. And as soon as I got back to Sydney, I got a call from America wow. like a week or two later asking me to come to be on the American Dancing with the Stars. So that wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been able to go if I was still in Survivor. So it all 
worked out. So you can almost thank everyone for voting you out at the end of the day, Kim, because you yeah. basically went on to America, you met your husband, you've had a family, you've got a great life now. So thank you, See, everyone, for voting me out. For yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 the same thing hasn't quite happened for me, Ben. Uh, you know, yet, I haven't gone Matt. on to be a star in America, but... Uh, <laughs> It'll but happen. It's have, a gradual thing, right? Things, yeah. have, things have gone well. Actually, yeah. Kim, what, what, talking about making the fire, there's one line you say to Justin when Justin's he's trying to make the fire and he says something like, um, oh, geez, I better make this fire because I think he was worried that all the girls were going to vote him being the only guy. And you, you said something like, yeah, you better. You know, yeah. like, it, was just a, it was just a great, a great little one-liner, like, yeah, you better get that fire going. <laughs> well, we have such a funny relationship. I'm used to, like, being the boss of him on the dance floor, yeah. you know, and I remember him like, you know, you're not the boss of me here anymore. We're not on the dance floor. You can't be telling me what to do. <laughs> You mentioned those long days, kind of how you long for the challenges because it got quite boring. Did you ever, you and Justin ever decide to kind of just put on some dancing shows for the rest of the guys out there? Not really. Fiona had us going around getting banana leaves and, you know, she had to put you to work. She put you to work. She put us to work. We we were too scared. (laughs) (laughs) I was sad to say goodbye to the lady that rode me in and I remember I put my foot out and this wave just came up and like oh. wet my whole shoe and I was just like oh my shoe <laughs> and like, that's the moment you wanted to leave right <laughs> yeah. can, can I just say Ben oh, that, was, that-, that was the moment the producer yeah. grabbed me and went you come sit on the rock <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they were like this is gold <laughs> It, it, it actually, um, it was gold. I remember like everyone, they, they keep flicking between like day, uh, David Oldfield on the, on Kakula. He's loving it. He's, he's getting amongst it. And then, and, and then they, they put to you sitting on the rock and you're like, you're just like, what is going you've on here? What look. is this? You've got almost like this look and you, you're looking to the left. You're like, like, what am I, what am I doing here? And it's just <laughs> the way they edit that is fantastic. It was funny, wasn't it? Yeah. But I remember even looking and I'm just like, there's not even sand. <laughs> And it was just like the rocks, you know, and they were moving like they were little crabs. And I'm sitting on a rock just looking at the ground like it, there's not even any sand in it. And I, I guess they put us there, what I found out later, because I said, I thought they'd be sand. And they're like, no, because you get sand flies when you're ah, right. That's why we this beach with the rocks. I think I disgraced myself on, on the first time. Just redeem yourself, though. You could do what Imogen did in that challenge and kind of come out and redeem yourself redeem 15 myself. years later. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I think I've, <laughs> I've, got, I've lost my Timberland boots. Uh, <laughs> have you got yeah. your sheet? Did you get your sheet back, though? No, I, I left it with them because they were using it a lot for right. sheltering day, for the, as the tarp to lie on. So, so I, they didn't I come didn't back to you after the season and say, here it yeah, is again. <laughs> Ben, our goal, we we got to find out whatever happened to this sheet. Did it yep. yes. end up going? Did it end up going all the way to the end? Like was Justin Melby and Guy Leach we will. cuddled in? With, we yeah, will we'll find, find out, out for you. We'll, yeah, I need to know what happened to my sheet. If it yeah. was, right. I feel like they were pretty happy that I left them with my luxury item. I'm literally just picturing now the final two: Justin Melby and Guy Leach wrapped up together in the in the in the Egyptian cotton <laughs> yeah. sheet. I, yeah. I reckon. I hope that's and, the final. And, and Matt, I tell you what, also we'll also do is in each of our episode recaps when we're watching the episodes, I'm going to try and count how many times we can see the sheet in the background. So like maybe yeah. we can yeah. kind of be detectives and go, <laughs> well, there it is in that scene. There it is in that scene. But then it might disappear in like episode four. 
I remember watching it. I remember watching, you know, obviously I was only on one episode, but watching other episodes and I'm like, oh, my God, there's my sheep. There's my sheep. I was kind of proud that they were using it. There's part of you in every episode, Kim. You kind of have a legacy left in each episode. At what age do you think you might start showing him a few little little moves? Oh, they're already, like, they're already <laughs> up dancing to things and this and that. Um, actually, Great. I was like, I bought my little daughter tap shoes. Wow. <laughs> when she, she, I mean, she could barely walk and she was in tap shoes. It's just like Fantastic. She's got yeah. the bug already. Uh, I'm just laughing to myself, Kim. I'm thinking to myself, you're probably dreading the day when they get a little bit older and they say, oh, mummy, can we go camping? <laughs> you're... <laughs> I'll be like in the backyard. <laughs> have you actually been camping since Survivor though, Kim? No, and I don't have a desire to. There you go. All right. Actually, I do. I do tell her like I want to go to Ayers Rock. Apparently, uh, there's that glamping place. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Not quite the same. But, but maybe I, what you were thinking you were going to get on Survivor, so maybe you can finally get that payoff all these years later. <laughs> exactly. I'll go glamping for sure. I'll take the glamping. Yeah, so. there you go. But my yeah. husband's worse than me. Like, I, the right. poor kids, we're going to have to, I don't know, have some other family take them camping because my husband, he's <laughs> definitely like, Definitely worse than I am. I would You've be met the right guy, kids. Yeah. <laughs> now, also with your sheets, are they still Egyptian one thousand count, or have you kind of gone up a little bit more now to kind of make up for that disaster of yeah, Vanuatu? Yeah, they're even. I mean, I feel like my, I feel like I was exaggerating. I feel like they were maybe like eight hundred count. Definitely, yeah. The sheets now are like a thousand. Yep. And nowhere near Vanuatu. They are not going anywhere out that direction ever again. Nowhere near the outdoors. Hi, this is Fiona Horn, and you're listening to Australian Survivor Archives. I'd never watched the show and I didn't really know anything about it. Um, And except that Richard Hatch, the guy that uh, did the first American Survivor and won it, and he was quite notorious. He was a nudist and gay, and but we had the same manager. And long before I was asked to be on, um, before because I was I changed to American management when I got there in two thousand and one, and yeah, I was with the same managers of Richard, and it was just a, interesting because for me to go on Survivor all those years later, I remember thinking, oh, you know, Richard, wow, I should have asked him for some tips, but I never did because I never <laughs> oh. knew anything about it. Well, I, was I say, wish I had you, asked him. Yeah, I was going to ask, did you get a chance to, to, to chat with him like before you go out there? Like, hey, he's my other no, client, let's chat. I wish I had because I think he would have told me it's a game. You've got yeah. to be strategic. It's a game, Fiona, and don't take anything personally. And I approached it so very differently. It wasn't a game to me. It was my life. And I tend to, when I do things, throw myself in 500%, give my absolute all and do the very best I can. Um, and I forgot it's a game. And so I... I took it all to heart and took it very seriously in my life. Yeah, I don't know how that, I never watched it after it was done. I've never watched any of the episodes. So I don't know how I was edited to look. I saw articles published about me um, saying I was, uh, I stole things and stuff like that. And, and I did when we were doing the challenges, um, like I remember new idea writing something like Fiona stole stuff, sugar and um, safety pins out of a medical kit. And I did. I remember, um, oh, yeah, I remember um, when uh, we were doing challenges in the early days uh, and we were were woefully mismatched against the men. Those first 
I can't remember if it was the first two challenges that, you know, we all got quite hungry at a point. There was no food. Our area that we had to pick and forage on had already been picked out. I remember climbing like 30 feet up into a tree to try and get some tiny little green mandarins that were at the top. So we had some food, but the men were winning the challenges um, because they were strong. You know, we just couldn't quite get there across the line. And um, they, so we were, a huge rainstorm blew in. We were sitting in the van and um, the girls were all, you know, complaining, like everyone was saying how hungry and dizzy and tired they were. And I looked on the floor and I realised we were in the crew van. They'd stuck us in there while this heavy downpour came on. Um, we we're on another island for this particular challenge. And I noticed there were empty sugar packets on the floor that the crew had been eating their morning tea, their coffee, their whatever, and they'd left trash on the floor. And it was sugar packets. So I grabbed them quickly and I said, there was a, I'm pretty sure there was a crew person in the front kind of keeping an eye on things, but we, the rest of us were in the back of this van and I quickly grabbed them and I passed them around to everyone. I said, quick, have a sugar, sugar, sugar. So we would have some energy. We hadn't really eaten for a couple of days and it was all very, you know, exciting and, but also challenging. The weather was really crap the first few days. And wow. so it was a lot of rain and a lot. So anyway, I quickly passed around sugar. And then there was another time where we were really hungry. We still hadn't won a, a thing. I think the two, the first two, challenges had happened and we hadn't won anything and we weren't eating um and everyone was struggling with that um we were on a boat to go to it being taken to another island and i noticed there was a medicine kit and i thought if i took some safety pins maybe i could make a fishing hook so i did i took safety pins wow. and out of the medical kit um yeah that's <laughs> great how does new id find that out how does new id get that information oh, i think i think um maybe someone who got voted out told them. I can't remember. I just remember seeing the article and it was like, Fiona Horn's a thief. <laughs> I just wish you'd lasted <laughs> till the end now, Fiona. Imagine all the stuff you could have stolen over 25 days. <laughs> well, the main thing was I, I didn't, you know, it wasn't like I stole for me. I, the first, I didn't eat a sugar packet. I handed it to everyone else. I don't know if I even got one, but I made sure everyone else had a sugar packet. And uh, the, the safety pins were to find fish for us as a tribe. I remember the girls would complain because I'd wake up super early before the sun and I'd stoke the fire so it was hot when everyone got up and I would put yams in there in the morning so that we might have food later in the day. We were able to find some yams. I did forage for some yams. So my memories are doing things like that and the girls getting upset with me because I disturbed their sleep. But I tried to get up so quietly but so we could have fire in the morning. The experience I had of being on Survivor, my favourite memories are you know, lying under the stars on a big banana leaf that was a towel because you don't have anything. So the giant banana leaf was like a towel because of all the little crabs and everything climbing around on the on the sand. And I would, I'd go out when everyone was in bed, I would go out and lay under the stars. I wrote a song about it on my solo album that I did after Survivor. There's an album called Witch Web and there was a song called um, Lost in the Woods. But it's like a, a, it's a memory of lying on that banana leaf looking at the stars. And in the lyric it says, the stars so close like cherries, ripe in the sky, I let their sweet light blind my urban eyes. Because the stars were so close I felt like I could pluck them out of the sky like cherries. And, you know, I let their sweet light blind my urban eyes for good, lost in the woods. It was this... There was no light pollution in Vanuatu. That we, you know, the, star, the sky was so dark and deep and the stars were so bright. And I, I loved the opportunity to 
do things like that, to go out alone on an island beach, wander down to the creek in the morning and wash naked in, by the creek and use a stick to clean the dirt out from under my nails and a coconut shell to pour water on my head to rinse my greasy hair. You know, it was like I loved um, that. That's, they're my favourite memories of just that time merging with nature and feeling safe because you always knew there was a crew or someone around if any weird bad stuff came on, hmm. came, went down. And I just mean like as a woman... You don't often go to really remote places in nature and feel safe alone. Um, and as a little girl, I always felt very safe in the bush. And then you have experiences where guys follow you and you're threatened in some way. And so you, as an older person, being in a very remote environment, I felt this beautiful sense of freedom there. And that was my favourite memories of being on Survivor. And I think that it really inspired me to make an island my home. And so I did seven years ago, I moved to the Caribbean and I, I lived on a small island in the Caribbean from 2013 to last year. And I ended up building a career as a commercial pilot over there. I did humanitarian aid, um, did cut, put together a couple of aid missions and volunteered my flying to do all that to Haiti after they suffered to a massive hurricane. And then I worked as a pilot as well for the last four or five years. Um, flying up and down the island chain. And so I can look back and think of Survivor and how it inspired in me this passion to let make it possible that I could actually go and base myself on a tropical island, and I made it happen. And you actually know Russ Landau from... Very well, yes. yeah. Russ is a good mate, fellow pilot, and love him to death. And, I mean, yeah, he does... When we became friends, we met when I was at flight school in uh, Santa Monica doing my instrument rating and he walked in, I was at American Flyers and he'd done his flight training there. He's a private and commercial pilot. He owns his own aircraft. He's uh, got a fantastic helicopter and a beautiful beach. Um, gosh, which beach has he got? It's beach Baron, it's particular, uh, it's the pressurised Baron. So it's like Baron P. I don't know. I can't remember the number. Um, anyways, but he's got great, great aircraft as a rotor and fixed wing pilot. And so we just became really good friends and it was just kind of an aside that, you know, we're saying, oh, we're having coffees. Like, what do you do outside of? I said, oh, I used to be in music and singers. Oh, I'm in music too. What do you do? Oh, I wrote all the music for Survivor. And I said, you're kidding. I was on Survivor. <laughs> and then, then now we're like really good mates. Yeah. So when you guys you approached me to do this show, or like, because obviously we talked about this over a year ago, I was hanging out with Russ at the mm. time. And because um, I was in LA when you called me in a break between, because I go back and forth between the Caribbean and California and LA and always Small see him. World. I told him I was going to be doing the interview with you. And, well, I, really I, I interviewed Russ many years ago. It's it's funny, actually. Um, you know, I've sort of, yeah, and kind of he and I talk, you know, randomly every now and then. Um, but, yeah, mm. that was, it's interesting. I remember you mentioned that. And then, you know, sort of learning here that you started off, you know, management there with Richard Hatch. There's all these weird connections that you have. Like survival was almost well, meant to be for you. I would I would have to say as a witch, um, when serendipities and synchronicities like that start to manifest, you actually... Um, I mean, I could, you, it's a great point you're bringing up. I'm thinking, yeah, it was kind of like the universe was steering me towards this remarkable experience without me kind of realising with my conscious mind. And I, I can look at a lot of my, um, you know, life like that. I mean, I'm well into my second half of, my, you know, I'm, I'm more than half a century old and I'm or into my life. I say you don't have to grow old and grow better at living. I try to. But uh, more than half a century on the planet. And I can look back and go, wow, you know, like, I've done some really extraordinary things, like not even like you might say, oh, being commercial pilot, humanitarian aid worker, fire dancer, rock star, witch, writer, blah, blah, blah. Um, but, you know, I've got to do things like Survivor. Yeah. I mean, you know, just what a 
how lucky. I mean, when I die, I'm going to look back at my life and go, wow, I just have had this remarkable opportunity to try so many things. And I hope that the lessons I have in them, like if I've written about it in a book after that or talking about it, it's, I hope it's useful for people that if I learn something along the way that maybe they can learn something from my experiences. This is a letter oh. that I wrote to producer David Mason. It's on Lee Meridian Port Vila Resort and Casino letterhead. Wow. When I was voted off and taken, I was so distraught and everything. Um, yeah. Do you want to hear it? Because I, I remember to, yeah. I, wrote, I wrote this. I wrote two, hand wrote two out because I made a mistake on this, I think. Yeah. And so I decided I would write it out neater and hand it to him, um, the better version of it. But I have this as a copy. So, dear David, and mind you, I had been sobbing and it was this was the next morning at the hotel and I'm just, I remember it was pouring with rain and I was still crying that I'd been voted off survivor like that. <laughs> Bitch, like hurt, like so hurt that these people I thought who were my friends that were my tribe had, had you know, thrown me away. So it was what it was. Anyway, dear David. Thank you so much for your generous patience with me last night when I was so emotional. I'm still very sad this morning, but deep down, I know I must move on from one of the most remarkable and fulfilling experiences of my life. Thank you so much for including me in the cast of Celebrity Survivor. It has been such a privilege and pleasure working with your crew. Again, I'm just so impressed with what you are achieving here. Everyone has been absolutely fantastic. I always felt cared for and yet free to be a true survivor, if that makes sense. It's kind of what I was talking about before, guys. I said like mm. laying on the beach. Feel, you know, you get to have this completely, oh, I'm a castaway on a tropical island, but I'm safe. You know, yeah. it was an amazing thing to experience. I think your crew and producers were unobtrusive and professional and all around better than anyone I've worked <laughs> with in reality productions <laughs> overseas. <laughs> I must have already done that, Madhouse, but they were good. Anyway, anyway, so... As sad as I am to leave the beautiful paradise that our Moso tribe world had become, I feel like the luckiest girl in the world to have had the opportunity to experience it at all. I wish you all the very best with the rest of the production, and I know you have an enormous success on your hands. Congratulations, and if I have the opportunity to work with you in the future, it would be an honour and a pleasure, love, Fiona. Wow. That's the, the goodbye letter I wrote to the producers because I, yeah, the night when I got voted off and they took me to the bar, like, and I was just was a hysterical wreck. That's so, beautiful. There you go. Hi, I'm Amber Petty and you're listening to Australian Survivor Archives. Probably might need, I actually will say, Amber, I brought with me today a box of tissues. We did make you cry last time, so we've got these on hand ready to go, okay? Just an emergency box of tissues. You know what? No, I think I'll be all right. I think, you know what, and I'm not to start on a major downer, but ever since my dad died a couple of years ago, I, I find that when I drink, I become a crying drunk. And do you know what? I was never like that before. Like I was like, just, I just didn't cry. And I especially didn't do drunk cries, but I just find now like I can be talking to a friend and I might've had two glasses of wine and we get onto a particular subject and I can find myself crying. And then I start laughing because I just think how pathetic I've become anyway. Wow. You took the one time I made a guest cry away from me, Amber. Thanks for that. You know, I'm going to throw these I gonna, away. I was going to say that. That's the one thing I do remember, Ben, that you said it's the first time you've ever made anyone cry on during a yeah, podcast. Moment taken away. With it, well, what are we, three minutes into this interview? Jesus, hey, Amber, why, why are you back? 
Amber, I'll, I'll let you know, he tries to make me cry every episode by telling me how shit of a survivor player I am. So, I mean, he Doesn't tries to. Much. He hasn't been successful yet. But <laughs> No, be very stoic and just rise above whatever crap he gives you. Again, you're, you're he made content. the game. He made it. That's all he has to say. He's at like, at least I made it and I'm shut down like yeah. instantly. <laughs> I, see, I appreciate that you thought I had played last time, Amber. You kept saying in that interview, like, oh, Ben, when, how did you go when you played? I'm like, oh, yeah, I won. Yeah, I'm, I'm regarded as the best Australian survivor player of all time. That's me. <laughs> but I, but I, well, I'm sure I said probably multiple times last time that, you know, I may have actually physically played the game myself, but I never watched Survivor. I couldn't think of anything worse. I don't like the show. Neither does anyone listening to this. That's why they listen to Australian Survivor Arc. I don't know what they're listening to. Yeah, I've, I've just offended every person that's going to listen to this. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. I'm not saying you're, there's anything wrong with me. I just don't like it. It's, you know, I didn't, I didn't like watching. I, I didn't like watching the things that I ended up doing and I didn't like doing the things I ended up watching myself back doing. Anyway. Well, Amber, hopefully by the by the end of this interview, you're chanting most so, most so, most so. <laughs> and, and I might need a drink if I, if I do. It's probably because I've ended up going and getting a bottle of red wine. I think you need. We need to get that emergency. You know, bug of the tissues. We need like this yeah. emergency wine ready to go. I actually, I will say though, one thing that did stay with me since your last time uh, talking to us, Amber, you said you you and I've got this written down word for word. You said to Matt and I, you are the cutest. I like you too. And I have to say, nicest thing anyone's ever said to Matt and I since we've uh, been, you know, recording together. So, uh, you know, lots of like David Oldfield's not going to be saying that in a few weeks' time. So you can hold the candle over David Seal after all these years. Um, David Oldfield reached out to me on social media recently. Out okay. of like, it must have been because you've been, you've, you've put a rocket of nostalgia up his bottom. Yeah, wow. What did he say? What does Mr. Oldfield say? Oh, not much. Just sort of a, hi, Amber, how are you doing? And I was like, oh, bloody hell, it's David. <laughs> <laughs> that guy. I remember him. He stabbed yeah. me in the back. He broke his word. Screw him. Oh, there's that guy that I slept with one night in the wet sand with three other guys. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that one is time. Is guy yeah. I'd say that about? Well, <laughs> I was gonna, three guys. I, I was going to say, though, if you're going to spend your last night on a Vanuatu beach playing Survivor. I mean, who else better than David Oldfield, Elton Flatley, and, of course, Justin Melby? I mean, what a trio. Well, I could come up with three or four more names. <laughs> if you want, but let's stick to the let's stick to the stars of this one. Yes, you're right, Matt. Yes. Amazing, amazing. Is a picture of, of you and Dicko, and it's also actually uh, Holly Brisley, I believe, is the other one there. You're at, a, at an event here. Do you, do you remember this picture at all? Do you remember this event? Um, I don't remember the event, but um, but no, no, I don't. <laughs> I think it's, it's it's saying here that it's from the TV Turns 50 photo call. So I don't know if this was around Celebrity Survivor or this is kind of, you know, you were there because you were on the show with him or just you happened to be there and it was a coincidence that there you are with the guy yeah. who was bossing you around. I don't know. Um uh, are you alleging that Dicko and I had an affair? Of course I am, Amber. Absolutely. Yeah, I so. Well, yeah. I was going to say, I thought we'd managed to get most of that removed from the internet, but um, you've, obviously <laughs> found a, you've obviously found a rogue shot. We <laughs> do our research here at ASA. <laughs> it, it, de it depends on how much wine was getting drunk at this bar and you said... <laughs> 
Well, I can I can tell you back in those days, I, I did I did tend to if I went to an event like that, I did tend to need to have and sometimes more champagne than I needed to get my uh, energy up and my kind of confidence up. Um, but no, I think um, at that time, because obviously I think, you know, he was signed to Channel 7 and, you know, we were, a re you know, it's like the, you know, the married at first sight or whatever, you know, whatever the latest thing that, you know, a, a network has invested in, you know, they invite you to certain things and then at some point all the invitations stop coming. So um, whatever that was, I do remember a, a, a big a big night. In fact, I don't remember wearing that, but I do remember being invited. It was either the same thing or another night, although I think this other night was actually much more dressy, but I sat on the same table as Chris Hemsworth um and god what a nice bloke he is wow yeah. just name drop an amber I like this <laughs> I know I know <laughs> oh, I mean if you can drop it if you absolutely can it. that was home and away Chris Hemsworth right I go down to get a bottle of milk and I'll manage to weave that into the let's be honest Amber though he's not as cute as a couple of ASA podcast host here. <laughs> okay, yeah, sure. Yeah, no. He's, yeah. No, did you, did, you like didn't, didn't call him the cutest and that you like him, did you? See? In your face, Chris Hemsworth. No. no. Thor. no. I knew that the bigger part of my uh, public persona was, you know, um, being known as being in, in a royal black bride, as a royal bridesmaid in, in a wedding. And so I just kind of, you know, I was very insecure and, you know, I'd copped a lot of crap in the in the press. So I was really kind of aware that, um, you know, I'd be walking into more, you know, bad press or just, you know, stuff that was difficult. So, and plus, I just thought, as I said, I don't like this show. I don't do outdoors and just roughing it and shit and, you know, and I don't do bloody water sports. I don't do any of that stuff. So there's there's pretty much nothing about this show that I want to do, except I would like some money. <laughs> like, that's, that's fair, fair enough. Point. Yep. I'm trying to be honest here. Um, and um, anyway, so I literally said, uh, for, in my memory, I, I took, you know, however long, like it feels like a week to think about it. And then I finally, like literally, I don't think I slept for the whole time I was thinking about it. And I had to go back to my manager and I said, okay, I'm going to do it, but can you just get the best price? And um, I, I can't remember if I, you know, said anything else. And he said, yep, yeah, no problem. So then I kind of clicked into, okay, this is happening and, you know, I just, you know, beginning beginning that kind of like coaching myself through it, you know, the anxieties, the flashes of just, you know, everyone hating me and all of this awful stuff, drowning. And then literally, and again, my memory, two days or a day before, I'm, I'm literally packed. I'm packed. I'm staying at a friend's place at the time. I'm packed to go to this bloody thing. I've got my mascara as my one item. I've got all of these sort of things you know, check, had the checklist, the contract. And then my manager rings me and says, oh, sorry. Um, oh, no, that's right. Hang on. That's right. The reason why I'd been invited, that's right. The reason why I'd been invited on the show was because Anna Kornikova was supposed to be coming and then something had happened personal. And so she had um, decided that she didn't want to do it. So this is only a couple of weeks out from the show. So then I've gone, oh, okay. So then all of that unfolded. 
then yeah as uh, after i'm like packed and everything and i'm ready like you know to fly out in a, in a day or two um the manager rings me back and says anna kornikova um is now back on and so you don't need to go and i'm like are you like i have just torn myself apart internally trying to get myself psyched up for this and now you're telling me that you know sorry this must be a week out you're telling me that it was all for nothing. And I was so pissed off and I was hurt and I did feel quite discarded. Um, but then, of course, 24 hours before the stinking, you know, flight was due to take off, um, she apparently doesn't turn up at the airport or something at her end. And so the manager rings me back and says, right, they, 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 they want you back. And I went, what a bunch of wankers like seriously and i said well you go and get lots more money from them because this shit's <laughs> I, love it. I haven't i hadn't even i said lucky i haven't even unpacked because i've been so pissed off <laughs> and and i just said well if you can come back to me with a much better offer um i might as well do it because i, I haven't even outsunk myself <laughs> out of you know doing it i'm just in rage at the moment so we might as well just bloody well go and plus, Amber, let's be honest, once you got voted out, you were just counting that extra cash you yeah. got from uh, the... <laughs> you said, you, you're like, my job's done, baby, I'm out of here. Exactly. Did you um, ever watch Anna Cornacova after that with your money in your hand going, sucker? Oh, yeah, I definitely did because I reckon, what you know, whatever I got was just like so much more than... Her and Enrique Iglesias. Yeah, her and Enrique Iglesias laying on their 20,000 oh, yeah. thread Egyptian oh, cotton sheets. Come and borrow some money from me, guys, anytime you want. In your face, Anna. Australian Talk Open next year. Hey, Anna, you suck. Look at my cash. Hey, you suck now, Anna. I wonder if Fiona would have tried to take Anna Kornikova down to the, the waterhole there and try to get her to strip off. Well, wow, that would have been interesting. Oh, wow. Probably would have. And you know what? I probably just should have taken it as a compliment. But I was, as I said, I, I had a lot of insecure dialogue and paranoia. We had um, David Mason ask, uh, tell us a story about a contestant who went to Dicko's room after they were voted out. They oh. did a massive turd, blocked his toilet up and left. David wouldn't tell us who it was. We're asking everyone, was that you, Amber? Yes, it was. Really? <laughs> Wow, that's a quick question. Wow, okay. All right. Wow, maybe we're going to have to keep you for an extra five minutes. Slightly exaggerated. I was not expecting this. Wait, wait, okay. I was not. I think it was me. Okay. I don't. I remember I went to his um, to his because we we'd arranged to go out for dinner. He, like he was gorgeous. He's like, you've got to come out for dinner. You've done so well, blah blah blah. So I went to his um, uh, hotel room. You know, obviously nothing sleazy, whatever. And I well, I think it was before I even got my own room or something. Like because I literally I was that fresh off the off the island. And so I had a shower and I remember having this magnificent experience in his bathroom because it was the first time I washed my hair. I had all my girly products. I had a mirror um, and I put my white dress on and I remember looking in the mirror and I, you know, I was like so slim but golden and suddenly all of the ugliness and, and you know, uh, detoxification that goes on, you know, on, on the show, um, I'd, I'd come good. And I remember just going, oh, my God, I've never looked 
so good in my entire life. So I was having a bit of a moment with myself in, in the bathroom. Um, of course, you know, Dicko, bless him, you know, bought me a packet of Winfield that I probably <laughs> smoked my way through by the end of, you know, practically dinner. Um, so I felt like shit and looked like shit by the next morning. But, I mean, I probably may have done a poo, but the reason why I say, yes, it was me, was because I found out later that he had said that about me on his radio, national radio show, I think it was National or Sydney, and I was friggin' mortified. Wow. Because I, I just thought, I'm a, and this, um, and my boyfriend at the time heard it through someone or somehow it came through, you know, this the guy that I was saying. So I was really embarrassed because I'm not a... I'm not a, you know, talk poo, you know, fart type of girl. Like all of that's like, I'm a bit girly like that. I'm like, oh, we don't do any of that. You know, girls don't fart. They don't do, you know, poo. So I was mortified. Anyway, so I sent a text message to Dicko saying, did you really say this about me? Because I can take a lot of jokes, but it was just that particular thing and thinking people were thinking that of me. It just didn't sit well with me now, uh, with me then. And, um, yeah, so I had a crack at him in the in the text message because, of course, we were on a really, you know, nice sort of thing. And I know now I was early to radio too, so I didn't see that, of course, it's so typical of radio people to go, here's something shocking and inappropriate and, oh, no. You know, he was just doing his job and clearly running out of things to say if that was actually supposed to be a good, what they call in radio, rave. Um, anyway, he ended up sending me a big bunch of flowers. and, and well, he, knew he'd be, he knew he'd been cheap. So, yeah, so bottom line is I would assume he didn't make that up completely, though working in radio, as you guys would probably know, it gets to a point when you've run out of so many stories, you do start making shit up or you start telling Literally. stories that someone else. Yeah. Um, Which well, is, you know, I, stealing I, I, stories. So I think maybe I did a big poo in his toilet, but it's very unlike me to forget. But as I said, I was so busy having a moment with myself in that mirror that I may have forgotten that I had a little flow it's, to it's go. So <laughs> I was not in a million years, like when I asked you that question, thinking it would be you. Like my, my money was on Justin. I think Matt's was on Guy. Uh, so, yeah. Wow. Oh, Jeez. My- Oh, you gen- I, I thought, oh, here we go. They, you know, they- that, that was a quick no. mystery gone, Matt. Wow. Yeah. I'm surprised Jeez. Ben even asked you. We were going to save it for later on. And, and no, ask- no, well, oh, I'm look. glad I've done my job. Hi, this is Wayne Gardner, and you're listening to Australian Survivor Archives. Luckily, um, Guy Leach lived there, and he also got invited as well. So we were mates. So we both went in there holding each other's hands. So we, <laughs> we had a pact that we worked together and to... Uh, try and win this show, you know, or this uh, series. Ben, this, so this could be the first pre-alliance of celebrity version. Yeah, Absolutely. I think so. Yeah, we're going to ask you about that because, I mean, you guys obviously were great mates out there, had a great alliance, and we wanted to kind of find out if this was just a natural connection you guys had when you hit the beach. But, I mean, what did you guys go, like, surfing together? Did you go swimming? Did, did Leachy train you on the beach with some Iron Man tactics? I mean, was that kind of the your bond beforehand? Well, at the time I was uh, motor racing, I was still racing cars at the time. So I didn't have a lot of time, but Leachy's super fit, you know. So for him to go and do this uh, series, particularly all the um, the, the games and the, the athletic side of it, I oh, mean, he was, he was a weapon. He, you know, he was unstoppable. So I knew that, you know, my brain's his brawn. It was going to be a good pairing. So we had an alliance before we even de- departed Manly, you know. So we were going to you know, look after each other and, um, you know, work, work together. So 
but we ran into a whole lot of other obstacles we never thought that would happen and um and then we got separated and so uh certainly spun us into a you know a spin at some at, at some times we had a doctor on site in case something happened hmm. um for example eating something in fact it did for me um i had to use it in the first couple of nights um and uh yeah no it was very scarce oh the other thing was that they uh the toilets they had a uh, i didn't know how that would work but i thought it was like shit in the bear uh, shit in the forest like a bear you know that's what i thought they were gonna <laughs> do but um they told us that there was a porter cabin hmm. uh over there but the, the funny thing was one night i've been i've been eating all those um uh it's called uh jungle spinach and we'd been mixing it up and cooking it in salt water so it impregnates the salt into it to give it some taste and um so we're eating coconuts in the day because leachy couldn't catch any fish uh, he was useless at it he says i'll get the fish i'll get the fish and no fish turned up so we just lived on um some the basic fruits and coconuts um and coconut milk and this spinach you know this jungle spinach and they pointed us out to it that if you boil it up you can eat it so we're eating this day after day after day and I start shitting like a big black Alsatian, you know, so <laughs> um, it goes through you. And uh, <laughs> and one night I woke up with this after about 10 days or something because I hadn't been in the toilet for, you know, for quite long periods. And then I woke up with this huge stomach ache and I went, oh, my God, I've got to run to the toilet. And I ran to the toilet and this is like at four o'clock in the morning. And there's one of the girls are inside there. I don't know what she's doing. She's inside there. And I'm going, I'm begging on I need to go. I need to go. Go away. Go away. I said, oh, I'm desperate. Please, please, please. And, uh, and they're going, go away. Go away. And uh, obviously, typical girls, they took about an hour in there. And I couldn't wait any longer. So I hung my ass over a, over a tree that fell over and, and had the wow. biggest, biggest, um, uh, let me see green green uh, <laughs> in my life and i went oh my god where did that come from i thought the local cows had come by and shit everywhere so i went but you know what it feels so so good wow <laughs> well, ben i think i think this is going to lead into a question yeah i think there's a follow-up where you been i said i've been <laughs> i've been running around in the bush trying to find somewhere to have a shit and <laughs> I said, but I feel so good because <laughs> two weeks of it have come out in one go, and then the next, and then and then we're riding that day. Um, they were all laughing at me because I was a fool. And then we got into the, we had to go to one of the games, and we had to get in a, a rubber ducky, and we were going across to another island, and and the girls are looking at us. They said, "Wow, what happened to you?" And I'm going, "What happened?" And they're going your eyes are so blue now. Like, and I said, well, <laughs> I had a great big dump last this morning. <laughs> like, I was went like, over a tree. <laughs> wow. So, wow. yeah, it was very relieving, man. So sorry Which, to go on about that. No, no, it was, well, it's, it's, it's a very it's... memorable moment. They put Leachie and myself with the women. Uh, and so I was just asking for help, you know, so we can, you know, fire wood and keep warm at night, um, et cetera, et cetera. But, she did nothing. She just wanted to lay on the beach and said, no, I'm not doing that. I said, come and join us, please, and help us. No, not, not doing that. So, you know, she was a lazy cow, if you ask me. So that wasn't uh, wasn't a good start in my eyes uh, when everyone was 
pitching in and doing their thing to survive. You know, that's what it's about. Um, did you guys ever realise that I actually got, I went out of the show temporarily? We did not, no. This sounds like a fun story though, Wayne. Yes. Um, uh, on about the second or third night on there, we were wandering around still, because we didn't collect um, enough wood, uh, firewood and everyone was putting in, uh, I was walking around in the nighttime trying to collect more firewood because we didn't have enough and it's obviously pitch black and I walked into a tree and a stick in my eye and it poked me in the eye severely. Wow. And uh, I went and laid down and think, I think I was, it was with the girls at that point. And, um, and my eye was really killing me, you know, and there is a doctor on call uh, behind the scenes and uh, I had to get up in the night because I couldn't sleep and my eye was throbbing. And basically I walked into a tree with a stick sticking out, hard stick, and it poked me straight in the eye. And uh, I was in agony and big pain. And, of course, you don't have any medicines or anything like that. They gave me a couple of headache tablets, hoping it'd get better. But I had a night of hell. Um, and I, if I remember that night, it was raining a lot too. It was pissing down rain. And we were laying on all the, you know, the, the stones and the wet sand. Anyway, uh, come early in the morning, the doctor said, well, let's see how it is in the morning. And uh, I couldn't see out of it. They had to put a cover over my eye and they said, oh, we've got to take you out of the show. And I said, okay. I said, look, I'll leave the show because my eye is extremely bad and I couldn't see out of it. And uh, I was nervous about losing the sight of my eye. And uh, they took me in a van and it didn't show it on TV, if I can remember now. And I went into, they took me into town, into the town. Uh, and um, I went to see a doctor. And, and this is a funny story. So I had to say goodbye to Leachie. And I wasn't sure, and everybody, I had to go. And I said, I'm not sure if I'm coming back. It depends on how bad my eye is. So uh, I, I've head into this, they took us in one of those Toyota high ace van things and went into town went to see the doctor, the lady come in, she was a lady doctor there and she said, oh, what's wrong? And they opened my eye up and had a look and she said, oh, it's, it's nasty and um, you've, you've uh, done some damage there. And she said, oh, well, just uh, here's some things. I'll, we'll see how it goes. Do you want to get back in the show? I said, well, I'd love to. And she said, oh, okay. She said, let me go and find some things for you um, to give you to take back into the show. So when she went out of the room, I started looking around her office because we, we had no food, remember? Mm. Oh, so I'm found in packets of biscuits and Coca-Cola cans. I'm in the fridge and I'm raiding the office, you know? <laughs> and <laughs> I've taken food. I've come back. I've, I've shoved it in all my pockets and then I've come back and then I've, I've got this patch on my eye and then they took it off and, and it was getting a bit better. Uh, and, uh, and I've come back and they, and, uh, and that's right. I came back with a box of matches and a, and a lighter nice. <laughs> office. And, um, I turned up and they went, Oh, and the camera's on me coming back into the show and yeah, I'm going to push on and, you know, I'll do all this and, uh, I'm, I want to stay and whatever, but my pockets are full of cigarette, <laughs> uh, cigarette lighters and matches and Coca-Cola and biscuits and things like that. And the cameras are gone. I went, hey, guys, look at this. I pulled out all the stuff. And they're going, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> because we spent the night, the two nights before, with 
they don't know this, with no no fire. We couldn't start a friggin' fire. We had the flints and everything and we were doing everything and it was raining and we could not start a fire. So uh, we were all freezing our nuts off, you know. And uh, and then I turned up with this and then the crew came back and here we've got this big fire going all of a sudden after two nights of impossible. Cans of coke around put- the fire. They weren't a bit suspicious about that. Huh? <laughs> they weren't a bit suspicious about empty cans of coke just littering the beach there? Or? No, we were burying all that stuff. <laughs> and we were, I'm walking around with the lighters in my pocket and the cigarette mat and the matches and everything and lighting fires everywhere. It was great fun. Wow. <laughs> That's a fantastic. I mean, one minute you're on a, on your way to a, a hospital in Vanuatu with, with eye problems, you're probably thinking, "Oh, geez, you know." And and <laughs> next minute, yeah, your pockets are full coming back into the game. Yeah, that's yeah. what I love because it, it clearly it was Cooktown, wasn't it? The name of the town, if I remember, something like that, Cooktown or in Vanuatu. So anyway, the good news was that I used the opportunity to to scour the doctor's office and take everything from what she had there and <laughs> pretended that I was really ill, but then I was getting a bit of fast, but I came back with full pockets. I'm glad you told that story, Wayne, because I think it, you know, obviously your eye is extremely important, as would anyone's eye be, but it, I think it just shows you how keen you were to actually play this game because i mean some other people would have said you know what you know i've got an eye problem i want to go back to australia get it properly looked at um you know here you are your your main concern is stuff in your pockets for you know for the tribe and getting fired so i mean it does it's a credit to you it does actually show you how much you wanted to play this game oh yeah no look i'm 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 a naturally a competitive person, so if anything, if I'm going to do it, I do it to you know a thousand percent of my my heart. So, uh, but Leachy and everyone goes, "Yay, WJ!" <laughs> you know, and, they, and so it was really funny when I came back there, and I was the I was the the king of the tribe at that point. And plus, I was helping him a lot and designing all the huts and things. So you know, I had a lot of a lot to give and a lot to bring to them and particularly the matches that was the savior to the whole thing and ask Leachy sometime he'll he'll laugh about that it's i mean uh, i and love another, and another and another time we we were a bit naughty Leachy and i we were going across in one of the the boats or the um like a ferry thing that were taking us across to one of the islands and there was a you know a dark guy a local native driving us there in this boat and as he's gone off to, to anchor to anchor the boat on onto the island here, and Leachy and I are in there getting into his cupboard, stealing all his biscuits and all his. <laughs> we're stealing everything of of this the, the drivers, you know, the 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 locals' uh, food and everything. Wow. There was chips and biscuits and beer cans, and we were stuffing in our pockets and in our hats and everything and, and taking it with us off the island. So everyone had hats on this show, Matt. Are you sticking stuff in your hat, stealing it? That's why, yeah. you know, Justin, Imogen, they're all wearing hats. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're but right. I think, it, I, th- I don't know about you, Ben, but I think it's fair game. If, you, if yeah. you can get away with stealing some stuff on Survivor, I think, to me, that's fair game. It's Survivor, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. Like, at the end of the day, we you have... all the time. Well, you had we certain looking. rules that you had to follow, no. but like if there's not explicitly written down, and like I, I blame Channel Seven for that because Channel Ten, Channel Nine, they wouldn't let you get away with that. They're strict on this sort of stuff. They're kind of following down. Obviously, Channel Seven didn't give two shits about ah, like, oh, fucking just whatever, do it. Like, <laughs> no, they had, they had too much trust in Wayne and Leachy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. And Fiona yeah. was still in uh, sugar. Leachy remember, so. we're we're praying all for the opportunities and. Even the games, I was studying the games, what you had to do, and then I could see areas where we could improve and speed the time up and, like, going underneath the ropes and so on. So 
any game, I will. I was I was doing the strategy for them, and I knew we'd win it because the other team weren't thinking that way. You know, I was improvising and trying to shortcut it all the time and and to come up with strategies to get around it. So. Uh, no, we were we went with it uh, with a bit of um, you know uh, a study in it and understand the rules and tried to strategize prior to the the events happening. So, but it was fun. So everything, all the opportunities, and it is called a survivor show. We were in the background doing things that weren't always correct, but we were getting there, you know. And we never really got caught. What was the reaction? The fan reaction? Oh, they thought it was cool. They, my kids were watching it and thought. Dad, you're a dickhead. You got knocked out. <laughs> <laughs> the girls took you out. What are you doing? And then my wife said to me, I told you before you left, you should have got to be nice to the girls. you got to be nice to the girlies, you know, schmooze them. Don't try to hammer them. And I went, yeah, okay. So uh, obviously I didn't listen. And I was trying to, I got in there and I just tried to give my best. And that was to provide them with, you know, shelter and tactics and things like that. And so, uh, I didn't play the tactical game very well. And I suppose, you know, that's probably what my wife, my ex-wife now says to me, you weren't tactical enough with me, you know? So, uh, um, yeah, look, you live and learn. Hi, this is Jay Stewart and you're listening to Australian Survivor Archives. Ultimately, the preference is always to write to vision because that's how composers really get inspired to come up with different things. They get, they help the narrative of the story, but it depends on the program, if I can be very honest with you. A show like Survivor was fantastic. Our one was filmed in Vanuatu. The scenery is incredible. The stunts were amazing. So that was a joy to write music to the pictures. Another show I worked on was um, The Force here in Australia, which was a, a factual show of police running around the countryside, busting hardened criminals and etc. That was also very exciting. A show like My Kitchen Rules where you're watching people in a kitchen <laughs> cooking for five hours. <laughs> I'm more than happy for them to put the music on the program. <laughs> I remember the episode one, um, I was still writing the music uh, the night before uh, it went to air. Wow. So the cab had arrived and there were several cabs that arrived through the night with very, as they finished editing a segment, they'd put it in a cab, sent it to my house. I would sit there writing the music for it. And then at 6 a.m. in the morning, where after three loads of cabs and the whole show was complete, I'd set, rush it back to Channel 7 and they'd throw it on the show and put it to air that night. Wow. So the, the making of the show was very, very tight. Yeah. We try to make them a little bit different. Yeah. Uh, but they all had the same ingredients. They had the native chanting, they had the orchestral um, big, big sound at the beginning. They all built, they all started with a, a conch, horn blow. Now, these were significant things that Channel 7 wanted to retrain, re retain from the American style of theme. Um, but just between you guys and all your listeners, when, if they ever hear this theme, I have no idea what the chanting means. <laughs> I think it's just all garbled nothing. Well, well, there's that question gone. All right, let's cross that well, one out. Uh, well, 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 I was going to say, Jay, we we now know that they that the, the chanting wasn't the the people from Vanuatu. They were just a couple of mates in in yeah. in, in your garage chanting yeah. whatever they wanted. Probably had a few beers under their belt. In fact, a funny story. Um, I also, you know, a lot of the sound effects because the way the show was. And I might be jumping ahead here, but the back the background of the show, particularly when you see them just in the campsite and it's not active. There was music all the way through that, and it'd be very, very low key. But there'd be 
native sounds, you know, wood blocks clicking and natives wailing in the back in it, the background. And if there was a shot of the moon, you'd have a female native sound. And it was very emblematic of that, sh- that type of show. So I supplied those to Channel 7 so they could add some of those on later. And I, f- I didn't change the names to anything really sexy. So the, the male chanter's name was Bryden. And they used to laugh at Bryden. That doesn't sound like, like a native. <laughs> I should have changed it to, I don't know, some na- native Vanuatu name, but I didn't. There's almost like a, through the chanting, almost like a, like a squeak or a squeal or almost like a scream at every now and then in, in, the, in the background kind of amongst that chanting. Was that kind of just a, you add a few little fun little squeals or something that the chanting are happening in there? Or am I just hearing things when I'm listening to that? I can't recall what you're actually talking about. <laughs> <laughs> it was probably, a beautiful accident. You, you prob- your dog probably wandered into the, into the garage <laughs> and, and one of your mates buddy stepped on it and they're squealing. You're like, oh yeah, we'll put that in. Well, we did throw everything at that thing, so I wouldn't be surprised if we had, you know, little little screens and and uh, female, you know, trails of live screaming in there. Well, I just want to just want to point out, Matt, before you go in, just to just to point out that you don't think it sounds as a ringtone. This is legitimately not a setup. I want to prove to you that this is legitimately my ringtone right now on my phone. So if you <laughs> ring me right now. You're gonna hear your theme. I might need to pay you some money for this, Jay, but. <laughs> Yeah, well, this is kind of the one that I got off YouTube before you yeah, sent me that one I in today. So oh, maybe I need to change it up. But no, it works. It, I Trust me, I, my phone's ringing I answer. Well, I'm, this is how old school I am. And I'm sorry for your listeners who can't remember that. But the phones in those days, they didn't have the ability to play MP3s. No, yeah. They had to convert it into an actual tone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's all right, Jay. I've still got the crazy frog as my ringtone. No, not, not really, not really. That was like 20, that was 20 years ago. Hi, this is David Oldfield, and you're listening to Australian Survivor Archives. So you must have been totally confused then when Ben Wynn turned up in day two wondering who the hell this guy is. Well, yeah, he wasn't anybody I knew. He was a nice guy, Ben, though. Was he? Was he really? What's, okay, like- what's, your take, what's your take on Ben Wynn? Why was he there? This is something we haven't being able to to get to the bottom of no even david mason couldn't he 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 said he thought he was someone that had applied for the mole one time and he liked him and got him on but we haven't been able to track him down the guy's like a ghost um but what what's your take on him do you reckon it wasn't planned that for him to just come on and then get voted out straight away or was that just just how it worked out i think that's just how it worked out i mean he you know, he was supposed to be the survivalist who was a um, who was a prize. You know, he mm. we actually won Ben, um, and so he was the muscle bound guy who was the jungle warfare expert. And and yeah, you win Ben, and you win all sorts of knowledge that he has in regards to being able to take you through and find stuff that you step on that you think is weeds that are actually yeah. like a zesty salad. <laughs> <laughs> did, did, did you learn anything from him? I've just realised where you with your zesty salad. Yeah, because yeah. you, yeah. you, you had to keep feeding up Elton. Elton wanted his steaks, so you're making up all the stews. And he didn't give a shit about your salad. salad. And he never cared about the salad. He, you were trying to tell him about the zesty salad. He didn't care at all about the salad. No, that's he's a real meat eater, the old Elton. But he loved did, the steak. Did, did Ben win? Like, did he? Did you learn anything from him with, with what you can cook uh, yeah, up? Yeah, I liked Ben. Yeah, no, I liked Ben. I thought he was a good guy. And of course, you know the fact that he was in the military automatically yeah. made me like yeah. because, you know, that's the way I feel about these things. But he, um, yeah, look, he 
he showed us what was wild rocket and uh, you know, a range of other things that were plant-like or plant life that was edible that the rest of us wouldn't have had any idea mm. it was anything but weeds. And I've got a feeling that it was him who showed us about um, getting bamboo and chopping it and making toothbrushes mm. from uh, sprigs of bamboo. And I think he was the person who showed us how to do that to have a chance of trying to still have teeth at the end of it all. <laughs> um, I mean, you picture we went a month without toothpaste. Yeah. Um, three and a half weeks or so without toothpaste. It seems like, oh, a big deal. But no, it is a big deal as far as your dental hygiene is concerned. Um, and no toothbrushes. You know, these bamboo things that we done with knives. So I'm pretty sure it was him who showed us that. So no, Ben was useful. The very interesting thing that I found about Ben was that he basically was a terrible swimmer. Yeah, he was extraordinarily, I mean, he was built like the proverbial, you know, brick shithouse. Um, but, yeah, he was a dreadful swimmer. And, of course, you'd have to put that down to the fact that he was so heavy. You know, he was so dense in the sense of um, volume uh, because he was all muscle. And of course, muscle was, you know, much heavier than fat without the volume. So when we went in the water, and this was particularly evident to me one day when we were going out and we were going to go spearing fish, and I got him to come and help me, you know, because I'm, very adept underwater and I got him to come with me and he was struggling to stay afloat. And I'm like, I can't believe this guy's in such amazing shape that he can barely swim. But the bottom line was that he seriously, he was so muscle bound that he was just as he was like a stone in the water. And he really struggled to swim. He's like a stone in many other aspects too, David. I was going to ask, does the guy have any personality? Did he tell a joke? Did he crack a smile at any point out there? Because we didn't definitely didn't see it in the two episodes he was on. Well, look, you know, I was more interested in the fact that he was a superbly trained killer. Um, <laughs> that, was, that was where I was interested, and it was in that sense that I admired him, having been a member of the SAS and been in the Middle East and all those sorts of things. So I didn't need him to tell a joke. I, I could quite happily just, you know, smile while being in his presence. It actually it, makes sense yeah. now that you've spent that much time in Vanuatu that when you got to the challenge with the Pigeon English that, that you were able to understand yes. what Dicko was saying to of you. Was, was that a case that you just knew Pigeon English already so you were the smart one when Dicko was thinking that he was going to hold one over your head but you already knew what he was talking about? Well, as a, as a youth, I trained English pigeons so it was quite a, a simple thing having had many english pigeons as pets that i would know pigeon english. <laughs> but is there anything you haven't done <laughs> honestly i haven't had sex with a man <laughs> <laughs> but that's the only thing that immediately comes to mind <laughs> that you that you well, know of that well, you know of it's the only thing hey. that, uh, well they weren't men as far as i knew yeah, they, they, <laughs> these days, David, nothing, nothing just, surprises me. I just, I just want to say right now that might be the best answer we've ever had yeah, on this show ever. Um, right yeah. now, David, you're one point uh-huh. in the David Oldfield column. Um, yep, that that that's an answer. That is that, brilliant. That's an answer. On I on the plane, uh, or sort of when you landed in Vanuatu. I don't know if there's anything wrong with having sex with a man. No, no, <laughs> just not for me. It's just not for you. It's it's not you're not quite there yet. Who knows? Not in the Vegas sense. Uh, okay, so hang on, I've got to scrap that question. Did you and Guy have sex? That yeah, is scrap it. the yeah, list. Scrap. Yep, scrap that question. You were getting called all these names, you know, the, these labelled the puppet master, you know, the the all these great names. I mean, at what point do you I mean 
it must you, your head must start to swell when 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 they're giving you such compliments. Like if you're getting called the master tactician, the puppet master. I mean, deep down you must be thinking, I'm playing this game pretty well. Like to be getting labelled with these sort of because no one else is getting labelled the puppet master or the master tactician. Yeah. So well, that's where I suppose I'm a bit different. I I don't actually think all that highly of myself, particularly. I wouldn't say I have low self-esteem, but um, I, I don't get a swelled head about things that I do. Um, I always judge everything in the factors of how it comes about without automatically entertaining the notion that it's all as a consequence of my phenomenal ability. Uh, it's like what I just said about the Imogen scenario. I mean, I finished up where I was or I wouldn't have finished up where I was, quite likely, if the simple factor of Imogen going home first rather than mm. him hadn't taken place. So, you know, I'm, I'm not a person who is overwhelmed with a sense of my own significance. I'm really, I'm really not. So when they were saying things like that, I was sort of like, you know, I wasn't embarrassed, but I thought, oh, this is just all part of the course. It's all part of the game. It's all part of what we're sort of showing for, you know, the audience and that sort of stuff. I never really thought terribly much of it. I never suspected that they actually really thought that. There's one or two people coming back in. I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know if it's going to be one. I don't know if it's going to be two. It won't be more than two. But I don't know who they're going to be, whether they're going to be people who have already been here or whether they're going to be new people we haven't seen yet. But there's one, possibly two people coming back in and this is going to expand and go on. And they were both, but that's not fair. And I was like, well, well, I'm sorry, but which part of this from day one did you think was fair? You know, I was, I was sort of gobsmacked. <laughs> that's, not, that's not fair, you know. Um, and they said, and anyway, how do you know? How do you know? I said, well, because, you know, I, don't, I mean, I knew perfectly at the time. I don't recollect particularly now, sort of 15 years later. But I said, well, you know, this is day 19 or day 20 or whatever it is. And um, there's, you know, we're on the island for X number of days. So there's, you know, there's six days left. And, you know, the challenges have been challenge reward, challenge reward, two-day, you know, program. And there's just simply not enough of us to get us through to the end of where the show goes. And they both looked at me completely blankly for what seemed like a lifetime. And suddenly one of them said, how do you know what day it is? <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Well, it's, you know, whatever it was, I said, it's Tuesday or whatever, and this is you know, week three and we've been here X number of days. And, and once again, there was this silence and how do you know what day it is? And <laughs> I'm like, because I've been counting <laughs> and counting the days. I, I've yeah. The, the sequence of what happens. Yeah. How do you know how many days are left? I said, well, I know how many days are left because I know what day it is. <laughs> and I just, that, it never occurred to me that they were that out of touch with everything. Um, and now it kind of more makes sense. So apparently that conversation I had with them frightened them to such a degree that they decided they had to get rid of me. I was the danger. And wow. I was in the danger. They had two guys that had just had a week, you know, refreshing themselves, who were both younger than me, both fitter than me, um, coming back. And, you know, and they came back. I was never the danger. Their worst case scenario was one of them finishing with me. And their more likely scenario was 
us eliminating Guy, eliminating Guy, um, Justin, and them, excuse me, then eliminating me and the two of them being at the finish. That would have been a fairly straightforward thing for them to create um, with my help as a third vote right in the first thing. And I said, you know, when these people come back, whether there's one or there's two, we stay together as three. There's not going to be more than two. Three always outvotes two. Whoever gets the immunity challenge, it can't be both of them. So we get rid of that person. And then there's the three of us trying to get the next immunity challenge. Yeah, that's a three to one odd that one of us will get it. And then we vote out the next person. Then, girls, we're back to you, two, and me, which is the original last three. And do what you like from there. It's all good. And if I finish up going out as being you know, running third, well, you know, I completely understand. That was the conversation I had with them. And apparently that conversation was the nail in my own coffin. What I didn't like was that, apart from the disloyalty factor of it, what I didn't like was that the, I knew there was no gain in it for them. It was a stupid thing. I, more than anything else that can even be done against me personally, I loathe acts of blatant stupidity. And it was such a, a, an a blatant act of stupidity of such moronic imbecilic behavior from people who I don't know were just brain starved. I don't know. That was what upset me the most because I knew that at the point that they got rid of me, they lost. They were going to lose. They were done like dinners. They had two relatively smart game playing, highly athletic, fresh guys in a strong alliance against these two girls who were not at any stage, even when they were at peak condition, terribly athletic and capable and had been there, had been starved and weakened on top of all of that for three weeks by then, there was no prospect for them to do anything but lose and fall over one after the other. And that's exactly what happened. So when they're doing this to me, it's going through my head, yeah, this would be easier for me if one of you now actually could win but what's going to happen is you're both going to, this is all going in my head. What's going to both happen here is you're both going to lose. You have gotten rid of me to no actual gain to yourselves. And all you've done is made this extraordinary enemy that who is now on the jury that is going to do everything possible to get rid of you and make that real. And that was what upset me the most, that I was disposed of in a disloyal and dishonest sense for no actual gain, but actually to their detriment. So it was the stupidity of the act more than anything else that raised my anger. By you making that mistake, it did allow you to re reunite with Elton back at the hotel. And we saw throughout the season when you guys were you know, on the chopping block at times that uh, you talked about, you know, when you get to the hotel, you'd, you'd enjoy a couple of beers together, maybe some steaks. That time that you were in, in the jury and back at the hotel, did you end up getting to enjoy a few beers with, with Elton? Yeah, I saw a bit of Elton and Elton, Elton paid me, he paid me one of the greatest compliments that I've, I think I've ever had in my life. Um, he probably wouldn't remember it because it wouldn't be a big deal, particularly to him. But um, he told me, and I was kind of gobsmacked when he said this because I just didn't picture it because... Yeah, contrary to what a lot of people think, I really don't have this massive view of myself. And Elton said to me, I learn more from you than I've ever learned from any other person in my life. Wow. Wow. And I was like, what, what did I teach you? I'm a, 
I don't know, but whatever, obviously by observing what whatever it was that he thought he observed during the course of us being on Survivor, he thought he learned a lot of stuff from me. Wow. And I was, you know, I was really, um, I was really taken by that. I was really, really taken by that. I was one of the nicest things anyone's ever said to me. And obviously it doesn't seem like perhaps a huge thing, but yeah, given all of the things I'd been engaged with during the course of my life, but it stuck with me all my life. I just thought it was one of the nicest things anyone's ever said. Cause it was, so, it was like that, so genuine. It was so genuine. And it was also something that took me by surprise because I'm still not sure what it was that I showed him, but whatever it was, it was something that was natural because you know, I didn't have sit down. We didn't have lesson time with David. You know, I didn't sit down with Elton and say, well, we're going to do this. You know, it wasn't like I was trying to teach him anything. Whatever it was that he learned that he put so much stock in, he just picked up naturally by watching me being me. And so, you know, it was enormous, for me, it was an enormous compliment. While we're talking about it, Elton, have you ever met someone that loves steak so much? Because that's all he wanted to talk about out there was his steak. <laughs> you were, You had to... Talk him into how when you guys won those stakes for the challenge, he wanted you to just stew. slap it on, and and you were like, no, no, we're gonna we're gonna stew this and do it in the bernays sauce with the zesty salad, and he he wasn't convinced at the start. He was like, oh, I don't know, I just want to put it on the grill and start eating it. Yeah. Uh, look, I can see how he felt about it. You know, it was because <laughs> uh, Elton really, you know, he he was a he was a steak and sort of three veggies, you know, he's beef yeah, yeah. sort of person, you know, and probably the vegetables would be potato, potato and potato. Yeah. You know, he, was, he was like that. He was, you know, Elton was sort of, you know, he was gorilla, he-man, you know, he was very much like that. And, you know, he was very well built and, you know, once again, very fit and very fast and, you know, and quite young. I mean, Elton was only about 26, I think, at the time. Um, so... Yeah, he certainly, he wanted his meat. You obviously go on to be on Hell's Kitchen. So I'm guessing cooking is something that you, you, you really enjoy. You were the chef out there, the master chef. We set it out there. I mean, how much did you enjoy being able to, I guess, play with the island food that you got there? You you were making your, your mango breakfast out there, your famous breakfast calls and all that kind of stuff. I mean, you look like you're living it up there in Vanuatu being able to cook all this food. Island porridge. Yes. <laughs> Hermit crab risotto. Yes. Um, yes. It's a bit chewy, but crunchy. It's certainly crunchy. Um, yeah, look, that was, you know, that was part of, you know, playing the role. That was part of, I mean, I, yeah, I do actually like cooking. I've always liked cooking since I was a very small child. But it was part of playing the role. It was part of being useful and I mean, I think you know, there were several times during the show where it was considered that I was some use because I could cook. Um, so there was certainly once or twice where I was kind of kept around because I wasn't seen as too much of a threat and I could cook. So mm. that was really me just finding a place in the overall scheme of things where I was of use, non-threatening, and therefore not someone you had to sort of just quickly get rid of. Can I can I can we can we just really quickly on that? I'd be a terrible host if I didn't ask you to do this. Can we get you to give us a breakfast like in, in good old David Oldfield style? Breakfast Oh look at that, Matt. We've achieved some things on this show and that's up there. There Brilliant. it is. <laughs> oh here comes Elton, huh? 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I it's orange. <laughs> I'm sorry, I should have said steak. <laughs> did did Justin Melby ever admit to breaking that pot? No. <laughs> <laughs> what was he doing not in your kitchen? Ever, I mean, I'm not sure Justin's ever admitted to anything. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he doesn't even admit he was on Days of Our Lives and Home and Away now. But yeah, that was that was hilarious that episode. And because even Justin's confessional, he's like, "Did I break the pot? Well, I've been known to be clumsy." Ha 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 ha! And it's like, did you or didn't you? <laughs> yeah, I was actually quite upset about it. You were, you were. <laughs> it wasn't sort of something we could run down to the shop and replace. Yeah. <laughs> now, we started out with very little, and we gathered a few things, and then yeah. I mean, but how silly were they to give us, you know, earthenware pots anyway? <laughs> what went down in that bathroom in that nice little uh, villa? Well, you, you know, they say love the one you're with. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the reality of it was that the mirror was very dimly lit. And, and I, you know, sorry, I'm a bit of a pedant in certain aspects. And, you know, I have, um, I have designed... Um, all of our homes for the last several, you know, the last four or five homes we've had, I've always designed the interiors. And one of the particular specifications, I'm really going to seem like a pedant here, but one of the particular specifications that I have is where the lights are above mirrors. You know, merely for the capacity of shaving closely and accurately and, and this sort of stuff. And, you know, sadly, like, most places, you know, the mirror, the light was sort of like here, but the mirror was here. And, you know, to really actually see yourself in a mirror, the mirror's got to be direct, the light's got to be directly over the mirror. It can't be behind where your face is like this. Well, that was scary. Look at that. <laughs> um, so it was more a matter of, I was trying to get up really close. I can't really quite see this bloody mirror. It's freaking light, you know. It was more of a matter of that. And I did shave about three times. You know, I hadn't shaven for about two weeks at that stage. And I probably shaved. And I think we also, we only had like um, big disposable razors. And, you know, they're not, you know, not great to use at the best of times. So it was really just the fact that I'm a pedant. Uh, and I was trying to really get a really good shave. I shaved about three times. So it seemed to take a very, very long time because it did take a good a long time because I couldn't see very well. Um, and because I was, you know, really trying so hard with this big disposable razor to, you know, get a good shave. Well, because Matt was a bit questioning there. You, you mentioned about loving the one you're with. Uh, we were thinking maybe that, you know, been a couple of weeks away from the wife at that point. You're in the bathroom by yourself, like, you know, no cameras around. It's never been a real masturbation has never been a priority for me. So <laughs> Right, okay. There. Matt, you've you've had it quashed. There well, it is. I just like I said to you earlier about being a, a participator, not a spectator. Masturbation <laughs> <laughs> well, like being a spectator sport, you know. So. Well, when you've got <laughs> Gabby really involved, you know. <laughs> when you've got Gabby and Imogen, two models, both saying that you spent more time in there than they did put together, you had to start asking the question, well, what was he doing there? Who knows? Well, yeah, well, the fact is that, you know, what they needed to shave was a much smaller area than you. What I did love, David, though, is when we did that Thug Life video, you actually you did send me a message and saying it's like one of the most liked things you've ever put up on social media. <laughs> Are we glad that you got a bit of a laugh out of it? got many. It's one of the more viewed vids of mine on Instagram in the last couple of months. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing which will always stand in my mind is... Um, 
quite a long time afterwards when I was looking to get my eldest son into school and there was a particular school we wanted him to go to and it was, excuse me, you had to go and have an interview to get him into the school um, and I, we, my wife at the time um, kind of, and I thought it was a bit touch and go until as we were leaving, um, the person who had been interviewing us, who was the junior school headmaster, said to me, oh, and I have to say, David, I, I remember to this day and I just I loved you on Survivor. It's brilliant. And as soon as we got out the door, we're, we're in. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to this school. And sure enough, he did. Yeah. And that's wow. that always stuck with me. So if Survivor did nothing else for me post, yeah. um, what it did do was it probably helped um, get my eldest son into the school we wanted to get him into. Well, well, I'm telling you now, look at that, Matt. See, people remember David from Survivor and David's had a much bigger career than you. People I talk to can't even remember who the hell you are. So, I mean, God, <laughs> no hope for your daughters getting into school one day. Just saying. <laughs> I'll be sure to use that, though, when, I'm, when my girls get older and I'm trying to get into school and if I'm, not, if I'm thinking it's touch and go, I'm like, do you, got, do you watch Survivor at all? Survivor? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, I'm going to try that one, David. David Janat, who, uh, spoiler alert, won Australian Survivor All-Stars, was on the second Champions vs. Contenders. We actually, it's, it's, it's interesting that we have discovered the name David is actually shrouded in greatness in the history of Australian Survivor. There's been three of you. Also in Jewish history. Well, uh, well, th- that that makes sense then, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> you got the Golden God in the Channel 10 era, who is the winner of All-Stars and was a memorable player enough to get brought back, obviously, for All-Stars. Yourself in the Channel 7 era, who, you know, as we've labelled you, the best player of the season and all the nicknames you have. And then on the original Channel 9 season, we have Matt's (laughs) favourite, just his absolute idol in that season in David, who sadly didn't win, but he was, what, fourth, third boot, fourth boot. But uh, But he's he's very, yeah, he was a quirky guy. David Haas was great. David Haas, just crazily quirky and interesting. So there's only been three in the history of Australian Survivor David, and, and you've all got your legacies, basically, of this show. Well, well look, I, t- I, I must, um, with all those names and things that were bestowed upon me that in many respects I wasn't even aware of until I saw them on your, on your podcast, <laughs> on, your, uh, <laughs> on your thing on Instagram, I will tell you a story about how I used those, quite interestingly, because I actually used those as a lesson. You know, from the moment I get up in the morning until the moment my boys go to bed at night, I'm trying to teach them something because I... I believe that it's every parent's responsibility to make their children better than the parents are. And so I'm, I'm always at them with this stuff, always trying to train them and teach them in a whole range of things. And so I actually showed them that and I got them to evaluate what you'd done on the Instagram thing um, so that I could convey the lesson to them that, you know, you should never bestow titles upon yourself that, you know, what's important is what other people say you are in many respects you know you need to believe in yourself but what stands out for others who are watching is what other people call you not what you say you are yourself especially when you're giving yourself a rap you know big pat on the back aren't i so great i'm so great well it always sounds better when somebody else says it so um i actually used um your instagram post um as a lesson for my children in not giving themselves these names, but aspire to other people giving them these names. Well, I just want to formally apologise then to your children if they don't go on too much. Uh, yeah. Never is this show meant to be used for educational purposes, David. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. 
Well, it's always um, a worry. You, you hope your children go on to, you know, the most important thing for your children is for them to be happy. Mm. But often happiness requires them being successful, um, at least at something along the way. Um, maybe not now that you've used us as education. So well, um, I, I just hope you've taught them, David, that if if one of them ever get to play Survivor and they're down to the final five, don't always consider don't stupidity. <laughs> always consider stupidity. Don't think stupidity isn't a factor in people's decision making against their own interests. <laughs> I hope you I hope you're teaching that. But look, in all seriousness, it's funny because like these days in Survivor, every second contestant goes out there and they look at the camera and they're like, oh, I'm the puppet master, I'm pulling the strings. And I mean, that's just everyone trying to say that where you, I mean, you literally the whole season were given the title as the puppet master. And and Ben and I, we always say you're the original puppet master in Australian Survivor because you were, or you are. Eminently kind. And let's always remember that people that say these things about themselves, which I was making the point with my boys, are basically wankers. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, when we get Luke Tokey on the show, Matt, let's write that down. Wanker. Okay. You were a wanker. (laughs) In the words of David Oldfield, Luke, you're a wanker. Uh, <laughs> the sad state of affairs that we live in a world where people want to jump up and down and do their own publicity. Oh, I'm great. I'm fantastic. And I, I just, I'm this, that, and everything else. Yeah, so. See, Channel 10, if you're watching this, this is this is why you get David back on to another All-Stars 2. Get Luke back on. You've got a rivalry straight away here. Like, straight away. Boom. That works. Who is, who is Luke? Exactly. Oh, there's, a, there's another okay. point. You don't even know who he is. No, so that, so, that so, works perfectly. So, so Luke, <laughs> Luke Toki is probably the biggest name, I'd say, in, in maybe the Golden God. David Jeanette might match him now. I'd argue Luke. He, he's, Luke Toki is basically the face of Australian Survivor. So he's played twice. He's never won. Look, he's a character. He's a, he's a great guy. Um, but a wanker, apparently. Well, yeah. <laughs> nah, look. Hi, this is Justin Melvin, and you're listening to Australian Survivor Archives. For, for Matt's benefit as well, because I've got a little fact here that's going to make him very, very excited. When you won the Logie back in year 2000 yes. for the most popular new talent, I just want to read out the people you beat that year. You beat out fellow Home and Away cast member Cameron Welsh. You beat yep. out a guy by the name of James O'Loughlin from Inside the Arena. Can't say I've heard of him, but I'm sure he does well. And you beat out a certain... Rove McManus. Matt, look at that. You hate Rove. There's Justin Melby. He beat Rove for you. You like him even more. Oh. He's quite popular too, Rove, back then. As you know. Come on, yeah. look at that. Oh, I, was expect, uh, I didn't expect to win. I mean, I thought Rove would have had it. But anyway. How did, ben, how did they give Rove an opportunity where, you know, in, in TV again, what, a couple of years ago where he lasted two episodes? They should have forgot about Rove. They should have got Justin back on our screens. <laughs> hey, that could have been a thing. I mean, do you say that Justin's career has lasted longer than Rove's maybe? He's like, what, two seconds like last time we were on TV and we're still waiting for Rove to return. I had an American accent, so they things were kind of like the writers and the director they wrote my character as studied in America because I couldn't drop my because <laughs> I couldn't drop my twang. Uh, <laughs> the way realism there. Just, yeah. yeah. It, so, <laughs> well, I just paid bloody four or five thousand dollars with Nicole Kidman's voice coach to learn an American <laughs> accent and learn phonetics, and then I had to come home and go, "G'day, mate, I'm home and away." Oh, yeah. like, this is killing me. Well, you had to make out your born and bred Summer Bay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I just, you know, I sound like I was born in, you know, Louisiana, the way my southern accent was going. So, Justin, how, how long were you on Home and Away for? I was on Home and Away for about nearly two years. Yeah. But I got fired 
Shit. What did you do, Justin? Oh, we got to hear this. You got to remember yourself getting fucking fired from home and away. But yes, don't, did, 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 did Elf Stewart, did, did Ray Maher, did he, did he not like you or something? Oh, put you in the dungeon. Street, you got to get me bloody fired. <laughs> you're flaming galah. You're, fl- you're flaming useless actor from LA. I don't know. I, can you, can, I, I was like... How do you get fired from home and away? Well, we we want to know. We want you to tell us. Well, I was even more. I didn't know whether to, I didn't know whether to cry or hide under a rock for a week. So I just it was funny because I put my hand up for every pub publicity. I was a publicity machine at Channel Seven. I'd done like seven, eight TV week covers. Yeah, the Cleo cover of Cleo, Bachelor, and all this other stuff that's going on to make you this this. Heartthrob, and um, and then I thought, then I won the Logie, and then six weeks after I won the Logie, the writers said, "Oh, they're cutting your contract short." I go, "I just won a Logie." I'm like, "The problem is, I'm just my couch is huge. Everything's. Why are you firing me?" <laughs> in in my head, I didn't really go to Channel Seven and go. Hey guys, like, like you're fired. I just, just kind of went, oh shit, like, is this really, um, what do I do? So they said, well, you're still allowed to go to the Olympic Games on the boat at Channel 7, the 2000 Olympics. I said, great, I've got a free ticket to go to all the Olympic Games because Channel 7 was hosting the Olympics. So your last days before the Olympic Games. So great, for the next three weeks, I watched the Olympic Games for free and went around with Channel 7. And then, I was, I was kind of like, I was planning three years in Australia because it was a three-year contract. And my contract stopped a year and a half early. So one of the, I befriended a few people on Channel 10 and, the, and they had me doing this theatre sports at the Emerald Theatre and the Comedy Store up at, up at uh, Bondo Junction, up, up at uh, uh, the Entertainment Corner, Fox Studios, the, the Comedy Store. And they said, we're doing theatre sports. Can you, do you want to give it a go, Justin? You're like this, this guy, heartthrob guy from Soap. I said, you know, you'll be really, you know, it'll be funny to see. They're all going to take the piss out of me. I'm like, cool, like I'm that guy. All right, so let's let's go up there. Anyway, I learned how to do it all. And I learned all the comedic timing and all the fun. And I brought the house down. So they asked me to do the Emerald Theatre. So then all of a sudden, I'm doing comedy with, with you know all these people, they put me on Good Newsweek to do the great debates. So now I'm doing all these debates and comedy, and then they offered me a role on Shakespeare at the Sydney Opera House. So I did the complete works of William Shakespeare, where Darren Gil Shannon is on the Bell Shakespeare and Greg Fleet, and we did this tour around Australia doing Shakespeare, doing Hamlet, and I was like, how did this happen? I just wasn't afraid to give it a go to fall on my face. We got to take. If you're going to make fun of me, if I'm, I don't care. Just pay me the mullah the and money. put me in front of the stage and I'll, I'll take the piss out of myself. I'll be that guy and I just want to pay my mortgage and you keep the mortgage payment going and you can make you, you can t- poke all the fun you want at me. So, so they never me. gave you a reason as to why they fired you from home and away? Well, I think I flew, I was a teacher flying the seaplane. Right, I was this mystery character, and they used to fly. I was a seaplane pilot, 
as you do. Yeah. So when we pick up the seaplane at Rose Bay, I think we're only supposed to do some B-roll for 10 minutes around the harbour and, and land. After we do our, our shooting on the plane, we, the director said, can you guys get some B-roll for 10 minutes and then land? Well, I would take the crew down the opera house and the Harbour Bridge for like two hours and come back later. And I think, <laughs> and I think that like cost them maybe five or ten grand more. You so were milking the shit out of Channel 7. This is an Olympic year, Justin. <laughs> I went joyriding around the harbour on the seaplane. I think, I, I think my character went over budget. So, <laughs> so, so I think, I think they said, we can't afford this guy, this guy Harry. No, no amount of Logies is going to save you from that, right? Like, you know, oh, Logies, no, no, home and away, we've always got one of them, they, you know. They, they realised at that point it was cheaper to bring Marilyn back for about a fourth, <laughs> fourth run. <laughs> Colleen probably, you know, her, her gambling habit wasn't that bad back in those days, so she was fine. Um, oh, you know, you still had those people. Oh, no, I was having a great time. My first character at home and away was Rebecca Cartwright. Had a, like, yep. had a... She was in. She was one of my students in the classroom, and and she had a crush on a teacher. Wow! And, How does um, Leighton feel about that? Well, Leighton <laughs> wasn't in the picture then because. I, oh, all right. Are you fine I, then? You know, it was fine. But yeah, the the, the stories were quite uh, quite quite interesting because I don't find myself with a piece of chalk. You know, I can only draw stick figures on the chalkboard so I had to edit all, all that out. As a school teacher, I'm the last school teacher that you'd look at. So yeah. were you were you there when when Don Fisher was it Don Fisher? Don Fisher, he was my principal. <laughs> he was a grumpy old piece of work, wasn't he? He lives in Tasmania. He lives in Bruny I Island. Never, I I could never get that character to laugh. <laughs> I used to like my jokes and I had to walk out on set in my UGG boots and everything, and <sighs> you don't need those. He, he would just be like. Really serious, and he—I he, just thought they'd never get rid of him. But he—he—he was—he was in his character was my my you know the principal of the school I had, I had a lot of scenes with, and and I always wanted—I'm all about running lines, especially when I was on Days of Lives. I don't care who you are. Let's just run the lines and get the dialogue going and get on top of our what we have to do, but. Don Fisher would never run lines with me. Wow. <laughs> he was just, you know, I think he's just, he, he didn't care. With my relationships, and, and I didn't know much about David, I knew that Pauline and David had had a little, didn't did they have a little thing together? Well, uh, I mean, okay, you, okay, uh, I'll, I'll tell you. So I, I've just finished reading David Oldfield's book. It's actually an amazing book. I, I really enjoyed it. I only read it last week. And, right. and and towards the end of the book, he brings up that comment. And obviously everyone wants to know, did he do anything with Pauline? And and basically he just says, at the end of the day, it's not going to matter if he, if he admits it or not. No one's going to believe him. So he said, it's up to you to make up your own mind. That's and, yes. and that's what it is. So, so uh, in uh, the end, he, uh, he just... Of course he did. <laughs> Give him a few beers, put his goggles on. Is anybody- we'll get it out of him on the reunion. What? That's our goal, Matt. Yeah. Now, um, Fiona mentioned that that she had met you when she attempted a um, sort of a career over in America. That uh, that she spent a day or so with you. That you showed her a ropes, explained to her about how to get a bank account set up there and stuff. Do you remember that? Like, do you remember meeting Fiona? I remember Fiona Horn? Fiona. We had similar agents and similar work together. 
Um, we hung out a few times. We knew each other in the local circuit. So um, we just, I, I, we were good friends. We had, I'm not sure what capacity, but we hung out and we had a lot of respect for each other. Mm. So, so she, her, her, her and I had, had good history. Which it sounds like, I think, based on that, that you would be the most connected then of all the players yeah, in terms I of agree. knowing right. everyone. Yeah, in, in terms of who we're talking to. Every, I, I kind of I kind of knew everyone. Okay. Were you connected to Ben Wynn? Because we're trying to track him down. <laughs> we're trying to track him down, Justin. You know, that guy was a machine. The guy showed up and I, like, I'm a fan of Ben Roberts, you know. I always, I do a lot for this straight A charity and I always run up and get a photo with Ben Roberts. So I was like... This Ben Wynn, I thought he was just like another Ben Roberts. He's huge. Um, I think he's one of those secret agents that just shows up in Vietnam or something. You know what I mean? He's like, I agree. He's like that SAS. You can't come home and tell your family. We, we right. don't even know if Ben. I, I believe I don't even know if Ben wins his real name. Honestly, I, I, he's he's like a ghost. Yeah, I think literally he, not a trace of him. I think his yeah. baptismal name is Rambo. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Yeah. I want to see. I want to see one day. I, I want one day. I want to turn on my screens. I want to see you hosting Celebrity Apprentice, and I want to see Ben Win on Celebrity Apprentice. <laughs> I would. I, I would love it. I'll make. I'll make all the challenges like SAS Australia. You know, they'd be absolutely throwing them off bridges and shit. Right. You mentioned the guitar. Now. Luxury item. Was your luxury item a guitar? Because there was a shot we, I think, saw of you yes. walking on the beach at one point or going to trouble. You had a guitar. So was that your luxury item? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I must have been doing a bit of that at the time because I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why. I thought, um, I don't know, I thought I was like... Jimmy Morrison or something. No, <laughs> we, we, we only saw it. We, we never saw you play it on the show, but yeah. we only saw it when you re-entered the show at the end, you know, obviously when you were voted out, then re-entered. And, and we thought maybe that when they said, hey, you got a chance to come back in, you are probably like, hey, I'm chilling out at the resort. If I'm, if I'm coming back into this game, I'm bringing my guitar with me, you know? Like- <laughs> well, you, you know, Matt, when I was in America, all these – I was very – like all, all these print jobs and commercials I did – um, and I did for alcohol brands, they'd flew me to Mexico and we'd be stuck on these in Cancun, Cozumel and Cabo. We'd be on these islands for a week film, filming and I was like, damn, why don't I bring a musical instrument with me? And I, because the TV was shit, no reception, and playing guitar, I was with the other actors and stuff, and, and in America, everyone like everyone wants to be a singer-songwriter, right? So, so I, I like... I always bring my guitar and learn from friends and everyone would just drink on the beach and play guitar. And I thought from my times in Cancun, I thought Survivor, better watch it. I thought I was going to bring out the guitar, you know, and play a bit of wild thing, right? And just, <laughs> and closing just, there, we're, we're all going to have a happy time together and we're just going to play those Beatles three chords, right, and just, you know, enjoy each other's company and break wine together, right? No. But it was funny. It was a, it was a funny thought. But then, then I realised, 
No bonding. My guitars have to so, bond you two. So were they were they not interested in hearing you play it? Uh, I just felt like I had the word douchebag on my head if I played it. <laughs> I, I reckon I would have oh. laughed if you turn around and David Oldfield was using it as on the fire just to burn. Yeah. You know what? I, I, I was I was reading unless I was Led Zeppelin, I'm not playing it. No. Okay. <laughs> it, the metal oh. chords that I knew, it it I should have just used the strings to See. go fishing. See, Liz, Kim Johnson, she may have been, been voted out first, but she brought the thousand-thread Egyptian cotton blanket or sheet, you know. At least that was something that was usable. That was the smartest move, right? <laughs> but, that's, why you, that's why you wanted her out of there, Justin. Like, you go home. I'll take your blanket. You I'll go take home. your blanket. <laughs> and then and if one. I don't survive, I'll use the strings to hang myself. And, and <laughs> out we, we were wondering why we never got to see these kumbaya moments around the Vanuatu camp of you just yeah, having a sing-along. You know, but I guess no, it believe, believe it makes or not, sense. we did have a little bit of a play. After, after, the, after the camera crews would go back to their campsite and then there was no filming. Oh, you know, I'm playing the guitar and go ding, 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 right? On the guitar, right? Because I was bored shitless and oh, there's no camera crews along because we used to really, can I say, we used to fuck with the camera crews, right? When when we would go up into the hills, after, after that SAS guy showed us where the food was, where the taro, where the spinach, where the sugar cane. There was a whole farm out there. So then we would, when we would go up into the mountains, I'd go to my machete and the World Cup, I think the soccer was on at the yep. same time, right? Yep. And I would go up there and we would be having a, a, gam, a, a guessing game who was winning in the World Cup. And the camera operators had these big cameras and the boom and the sound and they'd put the camera down because it's, they don't want that on TV, right? No. Us rambling bullshit. And he would drop the camera and we I would take him on a hike to the highest part of the mountain, <laughs> right? Because that's where this sugar game plant was, right? And I got machete and we would hike up this path and we'd talk about the soccer. And then I'd say, then I looked to one of the out and the little guys and said, so listen, about the strategy to vote guy out because all of a sudden the cameras come on, the boom, <laughs> the boom comes in, and then I look at the camera guys and go, just joking, guys. And then they would have to drop it down and we would walk back up and we just play with the guys all the time. Yeah, Every time we mentioned strategy, they'll bring their cameras back up. And by the time we got to the top, they couldn't even lift the cameras to take them back down the mountain to follow us because they were too tired from all the bullshit we did going up the mountain. <laughs> So I just what we like I to hear. Just a muck around the film crew. That's brilliant. I always and, love hearing stories about that. Oh, <laughs> and I just want to know: was it literally just someone's farm, like a local's farm, that just were growing stuff, and you guys were just raping oh, and pillaging it? Literally, we'll go and pillage some mountain crop, right? And but when it came, but when we came down the mountain, there was a there was a week where we just oh, we were really hungry, and then we coming down. And we see someone's chicken and someone's pig. And we actually look at each other and went, No, we can't. <laughs> yes, we can. We're actually going to take someone's pig and take it with us down the hill and steal their chicken. I'm like, no, no, we can't do that. This is someone's, this is someone's food. Right? But we were so hungry. When we started looking at these pigs, we thought, we've changed. 
<laughs> there's, there's, there's something that's happened on this island that makes you change. Lord of the flies. Yeah, yeah. right? <laughs> You're going that crazy. I mean, on the topic of food, one yes. thing I want to ask before we get to the merge is the, the moment when you, David, and Elton won the steak yes. and David ultimately turns it into his, his stroganoff, his stew, whatever it was, and, and poor old Elton, all he wanted was steak. All he wanted was eat the steak. He just <laughs> like... He wanted, like, I was going to ask, like, were you just as, like, Elton, just steak, 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 didn't give a shit about the zesty salad. He wanted steak, steak, steak. Like, were you at the same time there just, were you ready to kill David? Just, like, fucking give us our steak, mate. You know, all I wanted was an Outback Steakhouse, not fucking Gordon Ramsay, all right? <laughs> I, just, I just wanted a steak. Elton, he's a rugby man. He's a champion. He's... The peak, you guys, talented as all hell. We come home, we're a steak and mash guy. I don't want to come home and have stroganoff blur when I haven't eaten or won a challenge for two weeks. <laughs> I just want something. I want a bit of protein and iron. Just, just, just quickly, just quickly, we, we should mention for our video uh, audience right now, uh, Justin's got a, a sort of a, a setup behind him which he can go punch shit. So, like, if, if this is getting you angry, please go punch the shit out of oh, yeah, that yeah, makeshift just, David Oldfield with your steak. About David and his steak. <laughs> just, uh, let me just turn the lights on here. Right? Oh, this go, is gold. I'm feeling better now. Good. All right. There it is. That's what I wanted to do to David when he tried to put sauce on his fucking steak. <laughs> In all fairness, though, David Oldfield did go on to appear on Hell's Kitchen. So, you know, it, he didn't last too long, unfortunately, but but maybe he was auditioning at the same time, you know, for, for, for a, a, a reality cooking show. Uh, it was, you know, David made me laugh, right? It's just... His insightfulness into into the steak and everything. He, he, he doesn't realise there's 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 a bunch of hungry, starving, grown men next to him. That that probably, if I had a switchblade, I probably would have chopped David up and cooked him on the barbecue myself. <laughs> <laughs> it's really that strategy, like just to, to put this into perspective. You've you've dicked with the camera people so much that they're like, fuck this guy, we're not doing it. So then it gets to a point where you're going, right, I've played these guys, now I can start offering money to these people. Like This is like brilliant strategy. You're literally playing the camera crew so you can further yourself in the game by not having them film you doing these things, well, which they don't know about. Right. Did, did, did it get to the point where, shit, you're literally wow. paying off, you're having to pay off everyone and next second you're like, Dicko's got his hand out. <laughs> <laughs> You might have been the only one on more money was, than you, Justin. I was getting charcoal from the fire and writing everyone's ten-digit bank number. <laughs> I owe so, you. So I just needed a routing number, and I would have been set. A routing. So when I think we we were uh, when that night when the producers came up to me or the assistant, I think the assistant AD or the second AD said. Um, you know, you're going back on the show um, with all the dynamics and what had happened in the show and what happened to Guy and what happened to me. And I got, I felt like, you know, I was, you know, um, I was kind of bummed that I was misunderstood. Guy being the threat, he was, he was thrown out. He, he had his, so I said to Guy, I said, Guy, I said, 
buddy, you want to make us, you got a strategy? <laughs> we, <laughs> if we get back in, it's like Guy and I are now in our own house on our own island. And we had now bonded. Just like in the beginning, you bond with your teammates. Well, we had bonded in the bath in the buffet at the at the hotel. Over some real steak. <laughs> Over some real steak. Without David Oldfield's fucking cooking. Right? <laughs> and the zesty salad. And we without creme brulee. We said, you know, what do we gotta do? How do you wanna do it? And let's do it. And we just like, I mean, that's where we thought, like, I'm, I'm smiling because it was like, when we got, when we had that up chair, God, I went, you know, this is going to be great. What, how, 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 do you, how do you want to play this? When I went into the finals, and I'm, I'm not sure if you're going to bring this up later, if you want to scrap on it. Go for it. We're um, there. In, in, bring in, it up. In, Imogen, I won it. I won the challenge. So I took Guy Leach into the finals. David, that pissed David off. So he came and threatened me off camera. What am I up to? Now, if there's already been rumours of me negotiating two weeks before, he's probably assuming I've got another good negotiation going on with Guy. (laughs) None of his fucking business. But anyway, he's more or less said, you are stupid. I'm withdrawn, tired, hungry, had enough, and he's come and laid it on me. How dare, what are you up to taking? This is off camera. What are you up to taking? Why are you taking the world Ironman champion into the finals with who's got all the guy votes? You're, why, why? He thought I was mad taking Imogen because if I took Imogen, he assumed I would have won the game. He assumed, like, why are you taking Imogen? He threatened me, Channel 7 lawsuit. He was going to threaten me with some Channel 7 fucking thing that I took guy. He thought I was up to so I walked away from him off camera and I just, it wasn't on camera, but I walked away and I'm going, how am I going to fucking deal with this? Like, this is, this is, this is, this is, this is pretty, this is not needed. You know what I mean? I mean, you yeah. don't come and, you don't come and, I'm going to say threat, I don't know if it was a threat or it was a warning, but it was a like, it, it, you, you can see him doing that. Like, what are you up to? I've won and I'm taking Guy Leach, who's got all the votes, who's a world Ironman champion, who's going to win the next challenge. Why am I taking him? Why can't I take Imogen? Which even is disrespectful to Imogen because she's played the game all along. She deserves to be there. She's got the women's votes. She's got everything going. She's smart, intelligent. She's ambitious. She's lasted. Give her the same respect, David. Like whether I take Guy or Imogen, to me, I still see both being a threat. But the only reason is 
I said to Guy, from the, from when we were out on having our vanilla slice, lamington, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> when we were out having having our little fucking doings, we said, let's go through, let's let's fucking take care of this shit. Let's let's clean up this place, and and whoever whoever lasts. Just guy shook, we shook each other's hand. We said, I've got your back. If you go, you, if I don't get into the final, I'll take you into, I'll vote, I'll get you in the final. I said to guy, no matter what, both of us have to be in the final. And you know what? It meant more to guy because he's got an Ironman, he's got a health product, he's got a nutrition, he's got a, a, a personal training service. It was more for him to be, the survivor champion, but it was more for me to honor guy with that respect. We shook hands. We said, whoever, let's get, let's both go to the finals. Bottom line, Imogen did not play a role. As much David couldn't work that out, but Imogen deserved to be there. And 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 there you go. And clearly David Mason, he want he didn't want both of you in the final two, I'd imagine, because no. you had both been voted out. Correct. What an arsehole. Did you go into that final tribal thinking you could win? I didn't give a fine shit. You know why? (laughs) It was the last episode that I was getting paid. There was no more television after that. Wow. (laughs) So I had made my fee. I had now paid that mortgage off. So I didn't, if I wasn't in another episode, there was no more money. There was no more money to be made. There was no more income. That'd be the only time we ever get that answer, Matt. That the runner-up doesn't give a shit if he wins. I was, I was already getting airtime. I didn't need to survive yeah. on my resume. That doesn't make me a better person or help my business or anything. Survivor is just a tick on the list of something you do in life well, off your bucket list. Now, at the end, you guys got to go to Mount Yasser, go up on the mountain and see that. Now, how incredible was that? Well, you don't take a thrill seeker and pop him on the top of the volcano and expect him to look. I climbed down I climbed down that fucking thing and I swear to God, I'll just show you, this is what was happening, right? If I open these lemons... <laughs> Where I was climbing down, right, the volcano's in front of me, right? I climbed down where the lava was. I was 10 feet from the lava. In Venuato, there's not exactly a liability insurance yeah. stuff, right? <laughs> so I was right next right next to the lava, and he's boom. And I swear to God, I was like, lava's gone over my head. I was like, I'm a bit too close. So all of a sudden, I'm going, Justin, time to go. So, and then when I'm climbing back, I saw these big chunks just just landing. I'm like, this was really stupid. And I'm turning around <laughs> running back up the hill. It exploded in front of me. And I was just like, I'm not going to see the rest of this fucking Survivor game out. You're not going to get your money in the end. Nicole will end up getting your paycheck. <laughs> I'm going to be some molten stew. You know, it's going to be 
I would have it's going to be Channel 7, Sunrise, Koshy the next morning, Home and Away actor Justin Melby killed filming Survivor with a volcano. It's killed sightseeing on the volcano in, in Vanuatu. Oh, what wow. was he doing there? It was playing Survivor. <laughs> but was, was that the one thing, like, you know, you, you loved about the game? Like, obviously, you know, outside of making the money, like, I mean, that's pretty cool to be able to – well, you're getting paid to go and, and do something like that. I mean, it's, it must be a pretty awesome experience. Yes, but we didn't know. Yeah. We, we – I had no idea. I, I know – I you know, I moved – I moved to America when I was 16, training in steamboat with the US Olympic team. All I know is America. Mm-hmm. I traveled Europe, skiing, but I didn't see much of Europe. I got up at 5 a.m., trained all day, got home, video analysis with your coaches. You go to bed, you get up at five, stretch out on the mountain. Even when I acted and worked in different locations, I'm learning lines at night. I'm not sightseeing. So I had no idea about Vanuatu. I had no idea about that, the South Pacific Islands and everything. I knew they're beautiful. I knew photos and but I, I, I did not, I did not get chance to. I'm going in there for Survivor. I didn't think I was going to go on a sightseeing trip. So that was, it was pretty amazing that I was happy just to go for a ride on a helicopter. To be honest with you. <laughs> Right, but you know, to take me to a, a volcano, I, you know, I was a bit guys. You're mad taking me to a volcano and think I'm going to sit and watch it from the from the furthest distance. I'm climbing down that shit. I want to get right up amongst it, and that's 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 why I get butterflies when you throw me on locations or places that things could go wrong. I'm. I'm, I'm like, I always push the envelope. I'm always, yeah, maybe we'll just climb up this ledge. I'm, I'm that guy. You know what I mean? And now I think about it, though. David Mason was probably hoping you did get hit by a bit of the lava because then he could have said, fuck, get rid of Justin, get, a, get uh, Imogen in the final two now. Exactly. I mean, the only <laughs> thing I didn't do was get all these fucking kitchen plates and take it with the helicopters and throw it in the volcano. <laughs> So you did break his pot. I should have. <laughs> uh, Which later that night, I the, the real broken it over his head. <laughs> <laughs> the real, the real thrill-seeking part that night, though, after the volcano, you got to have dinner with Dicko. Do you yes. remember that night? How was it yeah. sitting around breaking bread with <laughs> Dicko? Before yeah. we go, before we say, I swear, I swear, when you guys turned up, he was already a few wines deep. <laughs> he looks. He looked, can I just say, the way he, do, he looked, he was very glassy-eyed. Dicko, got, see, I played golf with Dicko, the Jack Newton Classic, right? And and so I still see Dick, Dick, Dicko every year and we always have a laugh. And he's always got a lot of time for me, and, you know? He's always got a smile. Yes, I just, we had this like bond because we did, you know, we're over there together. And, um, and you know, he, he's... When we showed up to to the dinner table, um, to me it was just all a it was it, it, it was an act, not Dicko. I'm saying it was just this was part of the show. Yeah. So you know, have some dinner, talk talk about the show. You know, um, but we're doing it. We're just breaking bread. That's but it's about the show. So I didn't really, you know, it looked like you. If I I I probably would have read into he having a glass of wine or, or drinking water because I, I wouldn't, he looked, 
we're so exhausted. You know, we're just re- we when when you've been out on the island and someone gives you a nice dinner and everything, we're just I'm I'm just like I want to eat all the bread. I'm just trying. You know what I'm working on? I'm working on my table manners. To be honest with you, because I because. I didn't need a knife and fork. I would have just been going, clear, clear. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yep. I'm just trying to work on have I been brought up, right? Not <laughs> make sure you cut the bread. I just want to break the bread and swallow it all in my mouth. Like, I, I, <laughs> just, uh, your table manners, you're on television. Don't be a greedy little pig. I mean, this, this is what I'm going through. Wow, wow. There's this, after a few weeks, there's this way you just get up and it's like you're sleepwalking, mm. right? And you get up, you walk around this way. You know you're not going to trip over the vines or the banana leaves or the rock or, or the fireplace. There's this little path and then you go to the bathroom behind the tree in the middle of the night and then you come back and then you go back to sleep and you go back to spooning Gabriel or Kim or whoever you're spooning, right? And then, but then we're in the hotel room. I got up at 2 a.m., I walked around the bed, opened up the cupboard, and I went to the bathroom in the hotel cupboard. <laughs> I didn't get charged for that the next morning. <laughs> I was awake. I was sleepwalking, and I went, "Oh my god, what have I done?" And I've gone, "Okay, this this is this is not right, Justin. <laughs> Ground control, we have a problem, right?" I thought. Um, you better clean this up and go to the bathroom in the hotel, the hotel, <laughs> which you haven't been used to for the last month, go to the bathroom and then go to bed. It was, it's, it played with my games. My mouth, my gums were sore. I'm tired. I'm sleepwalking. I just, honestly, um, it was a head fuck, the whole thing. Then I, I thought Justin was going to admit to him being the one that took the big turd in, in Dicko's toilet. I thought maybe he just wandered Wasn't in there. Wasn't that Guy Leach? <laughs> well, we thought it was Amber. Like, is, no, is Amber, there more Amber. of this? Is there more, is there more than one green uh, turd that we need like to know? that could come out of her bottom. No, no. Amber, <laughs> Amber admitted um, that it was her. Amber um, said it was I, her. I don't think Princess Mary will allow Amber to take that kind of thing. <laughs> no. I th- wow. I, 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 I think she's, she's had a bit of royal treatment not to do that. We, we know now what to ask Guy Leach next week. Yeah, then, yeah. Like, kind of to, I like, think, to get to. I think Guy Leach is filled up with protein. I think he's there. <laughs> All those Uncle Toby's neutral well, grain. It, it had a bit of neutral grain in it, probably. So yeah. <laughs> wow. We're gonna ask this on the fan mail thing. That's, that's what was it. the weirdest? What was the weirdest fan request or mail you ever got? Um, look, on home and away. Um, I I. Oh, look, so on, I think on when I did the cover of Claire, I think I, 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 I wrote something like, you know, I like, I take the piss out of myself some of these questions. <laughs> I think I said I like green frogs, and, and forty five green frogs showed up <laughs> to Channel Seven because I read it in a magazine, right? I, mean, I was just taking the piss out of myself, and and all of a sudden someone said all these. Green beanie, beanie babies or something green. <laughs> uh, wow. You know, because when, when the journalists ask you questions, I'm like, you serious? Uh, I just sometimes make stupid, stupid <laughs> comments. <laughs> anyway, that shut up. And, 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 and a not so funny time was when um, mum and dad never really caught into my career 
on television, nor do they really give a shit. They watch the ABC anyway. They didn't watch Channel 7. So, you know, as long as I was happy, I was making a living and I was a good kid, that was it. But um, I think a girl who was not, not or I have an autistic sister, but, you know, a girl that was struggling mental health-wise, um, I think she showed up uh, a bit similar to the case that's going on with um, um, Wally Lewis's son with, with um, Lincoln. Lincoln. I know Lincoln very well. Uh, he's, he's had a few bad moments with fans and uh, obsessive fans. I, I had a couple back back then. And anyway, mum let one of them into my house. Wow. And she claimed that, I don't know what she claimed, but mum let her in the front door and let her over. I was back from America, I was staying in my house. And all of a sudden I, I had this crazy fan in my bed <laughs> I'm like, the fuck are you? Like, mum, I had to go to so mum, do you know, oh, she just showed up at my door. And um, and I was like, you know, I was like, mum, you can't, I'm on television. You've got to be careful. Like these people, wow. these people, some of these people are just not well. So you just got to handle it very, very sensible. you got to be, I'm, I'm used to a lot of fan mail where, you know, the writing of the fan mail is like five-year-old writing, but this person says the rage, hi, I'm, I'm 23 years old and I love you on the show and da-da-da, but their writing is like grade school, yeah. you know? So, you know, you, you just got to be sensible and read into it and and you got to do your best to give everything the time of day within its work. But I work, I work, the lady that used to run my fan club, I mean, I'm not as involved any, 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 anymore, but... But the but the lady I, I worked with was was very mindful of who you're working with, but it's a business in America, and just like you've got to know me talking about the show, I treat the fan club and everything else. I treat it as a business. If if you made money while you slept, you'd run find a, fan. a way to do it. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to ask advice, actually, Justin. I was thinking of maybe we should start up the Matt Dyson fan club to see if maybe there could be um, some things uh, for, for Matt. I mean, uh, he's got a big f- fan base out there of the Survivor fans. He's very highly regarded for his two seconds on the show. So uh, I don't know. Like maybe you could hook us up with y- your fan club uh, lady to start up the Matt Dyson fan club. Or they, or they could win like a shooting session at like a gun range or something like with Matt. You know? 10% can, off your next speeding fine. I, I would like, say Matt, <laughs> uh, Matt, can you, can you teach me how, how to shoot a gun like Dirty Harry and get a 357 Magnum or, you know what I mean, whatever. All I can say is, talking about crazy fans, if Ben ever turns up at your doorstep, don't let him in and certainly don't <laughs> let him in your bed. Oh, I'm, listen, I'm, I'm giving a lemonade. Not a, hey. not, not a problem. Screw you, Matt. I'm not coming to your house. I'm going to Justin's. He's got a Logie, all right? Uh, you don't have a Logie. Can we see your Logie, Justin, for our video for yeah. our video audience? Be careful. If you shop at my house, you might not get out of here alive. <laughs> <laughs> I keep you all night. Hi, it's Guy Leach here, and you are listening to Australian Survivor Archives. I think so. I was on, and I'm pretty confident that Justin and Gabby that were flying in were on better deals. They got more money, right? Um, 
I'm pretty sure Elton and I were the same because we 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 discussed it um, out in the jungle. Um, but I, I, it was 20k, 20,000 to sign on, and every time you got you got through a tribal council, you got another five grand. So you knew that every second day there was another five going on top of what you signed on for, right? So you know if you if you looked at it from the point of view of you know, and the, and the the beauty with celebrity survivor was it's an easier one to win because you've got plenty of people that are just going on it, mm. not being real survivor fans, and mate, they're just going to fall because of it. So it's it's an easier one to win compared to the normal survivor, I would say. But certainly, some people would have gone on for their fee, and they might have negotiated a bit more upfront because they knew they weren't going to survive, you know, for very long. So they took the money. But for me, it was 5K every one I got through. If I got into the final, um, if I got voted out but I was on the jury, it was an extra 15 or 20 that you got. So there was, like, money there at the back end. Mate, you got paid $100,000 um, as a one-off fee to win, and it was written in the contract so it was like winning the lottery where you're not going to get taxed on that money. So you got taxed on your appearance fee because appearance fee is is like any job where it's a salary, but a one-off fee that you're not going to win again um, is not taxable. Um, so I got that. And then also on top of that, I got $100,000 for the charity of my choice as well for winning um, the whole thing. Yeah. Which, so, which look, is- it was a decent coin when you add up the fact that oh, yeah. I, I had that stint off and then got the chance to come back on, as we've as you've discussed during this uh, season. But um, So I didn't get that money for the ones I was out, but um, certainly that 100K that you get for winning it is a, is a big chunk of money, and that's 15 years ago now. So, you know, it's worth a bit more than what it is now. Justin, his interview is quite amazing too because – he, he talks about the pressure he got from David Mason not to take you to the end. Mason, Mason pulled him aside. Like, I nearly yeah. had, a, I had a running with Mason over it. Like, nearly, and I, I wanted to bash him, right? <laughs> this is all stuff that you don't see right, that was filmed. And to the point where he ran into the jungle the next day and hid and mm. didn't come out for half a day, right? Wow. Didn't come near the, um, the, the site, the, the challenge, the whole thing, because I wanted to kill him because... Mate, the integrity of the show was completely and utterly, mate, just broken up by what he did. Mate, the, the producer, the director cannot come in mm. to a show and take a competitor out away from the camera and start feeding them full of ideas of what they should do. It's a game. Mm. It's a competition, right? And it was bullshit. So I lost it. You don't want people that can just... Their threats, and that's where Ben. Even though we all joke about Ben, yeah, you, know, you you guys joke about Ben. I don't joke about Ben. <laughs> I joke guys, about him. Matt likes you guys. Ben, no, so, wonder you know. fuck, no wonder he fucking doesn't want to go on your show. Yeah, exactly. He's been, he's been, he's been, been listening those- to the, every episode, every <laughs> podcast. But anyway, um, you, you need those safe numbers. We're walking off, and the cameras have sort of stopped filming the the game challenge, and uh, and I screamed out, "Hey, Dicko!" And he turned around as he's walking off with the crew. And I said, have I got skinnier or have you got fatter? And uh, I just turned and walked off. And, and the mob reckon later, they said he was just gutted. He was oh. gutted. <laughs> and he 
he's going, have I put weight on? He would have been living it up for that month in Vanuatu. You can't tell me that between sets, he he would he would have been having the time of his life. He was look, he's good talent, and um, the one line as he came up with, and you know, just the bits and pieces. No, he he was good talent. I mean, it's it's always odd when you've got like a pommy on an Australian <laughs> show being the host, but um, but yeah, no, I thought I thought he did a good job. I can't remember exactly the the challenge exactly that that you were talking about before where I lost it um, because I think we had to we have to keep it three so, yeah hands and and feet on the ground or something. So it, it was the final challenge for to, to go into the final two. Now yeah. it started off you had to have all four points of contact. You on like a um, pontoon. pontoon on the water, yeah. weren't we? So, and then and then after a certain amount of time, you had to then only have three points of That's contact. That's right. Now so, I remember it. I and, remember vividly now. Yeah. So so now just you, to give you a bit of yeah. a bit of background to that, the day before I started getting these like tropical cramps or something from you know if you eat too much fruit or and you don't eat enough other stuff you can get an upset stomach you know, yeah. like, you know that, that's i assume that's what happened to me so i had the runs and i'd get these cramps in my stomach and i'd start sweating i didn't feel like i'm gonna throw up but I, I felt like I, I i needed to go to the toilet and it, and it would last about five minutes and when they when they came up with that challenge the next day, I'm like, oh my god! If I get one of these these uh, hits, I'm going to be fucked, you know. And so <laughs> I was really worried. And so and I thought, mate, they're playing this challenge on purpose to give Imogen the best chance of going through, you know. And and so I, as I said to Justin before it, I said, mate, we just got to beat her, you know. We we both decided we're taking each other if we won the challenge to the last two. So it was literally two versus one in the challenge. And I was adamant that I was just going to do everything I needed to do to just hang in there and, and win it myself so that it didn't come down to, you know, to Justin versus Imogen and, and, and what have you. Because I figured that if Imogen won, my gut feeling was she was going to take Justin the yeah. last two, not me. So so when, when I got called, David Mason in the background was on a monitor. And the monitor was looking at our hands and our feet. And you could change direction and move, but obviously you couldn't lift it. It got down to two or three limbs on the ground, hands and feet. You could move around, but you couldn't lift it off the ground, off the pontoon. And I moved around a few times because I started feeling the cramps coming on. And Mason called it on the beach on the monitor, said, said at least lift it up his hand or something or his foot. Foot, and yeah, his foot. And I blew up because the day before was when he fronted Justin and pulled Justin aside and said, you can't take Guy to, you know, to the final two. You need to vote him out, da 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 da, da. You can't win if you go up against him and all this bullshit. And so I, I was I was filthy. And um, so when he called it, I was like, nah, he's just trying to get rid of me. You know, he's trying to get rid of me. This is crap. And so I called that, and that's why I had the shit so much. Yeah. Well, you did say, you, when you, you say, saw the footage, when you yeah. saw the footage, did you realize you lifted your foot up though? Nah, because Dicko then they stopped, stopped everything, and they froze, and then Dicko got off the boat and went into the beach. Because I said to, I don't know if this is on camera. I said I'm fucking not going anywhere. Oh, this wow. is bullshit. I'm not moving. 
Was that, was that on camera? Not no. That. The, all, nah. all we saw was they showed what seemed to be your foot lifting off and Dicko basically going, you're out, guy, let's continue. And then you're just like, it's bullshit, mate. And it's then bullshit. you, you, you said, saw. I call bullshit. And then you yeah. sort of, there was a bit of back and forth. And then and then it just appeared that uh, Dicko sort of just moved on and just sort of ignored yeah, so, you. So that. what you don't see in the edit so was that before they edited, mate, I was that adamant that I didn't, that... Dicko said no, nah, and he knew I had an information, and Mason had it in for me at the time. And so Dicko said, no, nah, no, nah, I'm not, I'm not counting it until, and so Dicko went in himself to the beach and re, rewound the tape and had a look at it. Wow. And then so then was Dicko like, yeah, sorry, guy, you did. Dicko said, mate, Leachy, I'm, I'm telling you, you it, I'm pretty confident that you lifted your foot off. And I still to this day, don't know whether I did or not, but but I believe Well, the, the Dicko, footage Dicko the footage was... looks like you do. Like, if, yeah. if, like yeah. and, and Matt and I, Frozen I like sent this... a picture and, yeah, that looks as like As soon as Dicko said to me, Leachy, mate, I had a look and I'm pretty confident you did, I copped it on the chin. Yeah, but I wasn't right. going to cop it on the chin from a bloke that tried to get me out the day before. Yeah. I tried to talk Justin around. On the Golden God podcast, you mentioned a fun little story about how you were able to get yourself some extra biscuits when you went to the toilet. Can you, can oh, yeah. you share us this story oh, yeah. about how I, you were able to get I, some biggies? I did. I did a couple of a couple of little tricky ones. I did I did a mandarin trick that uh, that caused me to get the um, the, the stomach problems, um, and the other one was the biscuit. So when you play Survivor, mate, there is two hundred people behind the scenes, and they. They'll take their watches so you can't see the time. They won't talk to you. They talk to us the final day when we're about to go you know, that day. We got something out of some of the camera guys because it was like the two of us left. But up until then, no talking, what have you. And, and then on top of that, there's all these villagers that work behind the scenes cleaning the, the portaloo and, um, you know, doing bits and pieces that are outside of that sort of that camera crew set that you get um and one of them i went to the toilet one morning and one of the villagers that was working there cleaning out the portaloo mate i he could speak some english so i started talking to him and i said um mate have you got any food can you get any food and he said oh yeah i can get food i said i can pay i can pay <laughs> i can pay <laughs> I love it. and listen just quietly there was no rules when yep. we went on there saying I couldn't hey, bribe I love it. the yeah. villagers, right? I, I was it. never told that. So there's no disqualification at all. Yeah. Like so it would have been different to what normal survivor is, I would have thought. Because they probably you probably can't do that. Mm. But I said, I'll give you 50 bucks Australian. If you can just get get a bag and at the back of the portal, I dug a hole. I said, in here, put it there and cover it up every day, put some biscuits there. So I'd go to the toilet every morning um, and go into the portal. And I would have got the biscuits out of the uh, bag, take them in there, and I'd sit on the toilet and eat them really slowly as my breakfast. <laughs> that's brilliant. And that's the whole thing, with, as we talked with Justin a lot last week, it's yeah. it's the rules. If it doesn't say you can't do something, fucking do it. Why Mate, not? I just, no, you just, you just want, you're just doing your best. Like it's, it's not like going to war, obviously, but it's a bit like that sort of feeling like you're just, you're just going to get through the day, you know, and just yeah. do it. Hey. And like I'm used to eating. You can imagine when I was doing Iron Man and how much food I used to eat, and I was still exercising every day. So I've never not exercised. So I probably eat much more than most people. 
So when you get no food, it's a bigger shock to to someone like myself than it is to a lot of other people that probably don't eat much during the day because your metabolism isn't kicking. The other one I did too, I, I went into the jungle looking for food and it was like this, it was like this out of dream where the sun shone down and I come out of this thick jungly area and there was just this opening and there was this fucking mandarin tree. I'm by myself with a camera guy, right? I'm like, no way. I don't even know how I got to where I was. And I'm like, fuck, there's all these mandarins. So I went and took 15 that were down low and I ate them all. I got the skin and I thought, well, shit, if someone else finds this, I'll get, I, I don't want to look like I've gone and eaten them all and, and not given to anyone else. So I buried the skin and the pips in the jungle and then I got my T-shirt and I grabbed more up higher that was still ripe and I wrapped them up and I took them back to camp, right? So I had about 15 there and there was, you know, three eats for, the, you know, the, 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 the crew that were there in the, um, the camp. And I divvied them all out and there was one extra, right, out of the three I gave everyone and I had my three. And everyone's like, you take that one, Leachy. You take the other one, mate. You found the mandarins. And like by that stage, the 15 that I've eaten, I've gone straight through my stomach <laughs> and I've just got these cramps starting in my guts where I've got to go to the toilet. Wow. So I ended up going off and that was that. And, um, mate, I never found the mandarin tree again. Couldn't wow. find it. Wow. Jeez. Wow. It was a sign. It was that divine, yeah. the light. It was. Thing. It, was a, it was a moment. You were called for potentially appearing on the Channel 10 version. I believe it was All Stars. What happened there? Tell us about the phone call and how close were you to being on the Channel 10 version? So so they get agencies to ring around, you know, and if you're a celebrity, they'll they'll ask the question, like I got asked about SAS, whether you consider going on, would you like to be put forward, all the rest of it. And... I got rung up by, you know, one of the agents with the network um, and they filled the question, would you go on that series um, and would you be open to competing again? And I said, what's the rules? You know, like, is there a fee? Am I going on and just competing for the prize money? How does it all work? And so I asked all the questions um, and... When, when they were going to film, you know, and just to try to work out whether I could go and do it. Um, and they came back and said, look, we, we'd, um, was it half a million dollars in prize money for that one, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they said that. And they said there's no fees going out for, for the show, but, you know, but we, we, we want to put you forward because it's a great story. Um, and... Mate, and that that was it. And from memory, they ran back and asked one more question. And then it went. Then it went quiet. And that was that was it. So, 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 so to clarify, do you know if this was for all stars or was this for one of the champions versus contenders seasons? Uh, all stars. Which, which, and do they when they're talking to you? Are they saying as a previous? Winner, this is why we want you back, or are they sort yeah. of because yeah because that, yeah, because, that's where because it, you it, want because you want Survivor. Um, you know, we, we, we're just asking the question whether you, you, you come back on. You trained Madonna 
Yeah. What happened here? How the hell do you end up training Madonna? <laughs> it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a, um, and also back when she was like the biggest name in the world as far as entertainment went, it was back in 96 or something like that. So she was right at the peak of her, um, of her powers. And um, so a mate of mine was the US Ironman champion and he lived in California. He came out and raced the Ironman stuff out here and, one of his best mates was a personal trainer in LA and he happened to be Madonna's trainer over there. And so she was touring Australia and he was about to get married. So he couldn't come out for the tour. And my mate, the Ironman champion, um, knew what was going on and ran me up and said, hey, Leachy, mate, do you, and at the time I was training like Dicko and um, uh, Casey Donovan to lose weight and... Um, Jonathan Coleman, who's only just recently passed away. Um, so I was training people in, in that respect. I used to train Lane Beachley, the surface. So I had a history of doing that sort of stuff. And um, he said, do you want to train Madonna? And I thought he was you know, talking it up. I said, well, what do you mean? She said, well, she needs someone to, to work, work out when she's out on a tour. So, mate, you want me to put you forward? I said, yeah, fine. So anyway, so I got the gig and... But I hadn't, at that stage, I'd met her and I met her. No, I hadn't met her at that stage. Anyway, I remember she was staying at Double Bay in Sydney at the um, at the, the Ritz-Carlton, as it was called back then, had the penthouse on the top floor and had the penthouse next door that was turned into a gym. That's what happens when you're that rich and famous, right? <laughs> and um, I, I got told, look, she wants to train one day running and the next day gym. Can, is that all right? I said, yeah, no problems. I said, can you be at the Ritz-Carlton tomorrow morning? She wants to run and do a session with, with running and, and then some stretching stuff after it um, at 5 a.m. So she'll do it in the dark so then people don't recognise she wants to run the streets. I'm like, fine, done. So I rock. And I go to bed that night and I'm obviously, like, quite nervous about meeting Madonna, what she's going to be like. You have all these visions of her being just a nightmare, right? Nightmare celeb. So anyway, I wake up at one in the morning and I've had these dreams. I've slept through the alarm. <laughs> I had two alarms on at 4 a.m. We're caught to four to get up to get over for merely to, to double bay. So anyway, at like three in the morning, I can't sleep. I'm like, fuck it. I'll be going to drive home to double bay and sit out the front in the car and just wait for five o'clock to come so I don't miss the session. So at like... Quarter to five in the morning, I've listened to the news roll over like three times in an hour and a half. So I was like over it. So I'll go into the hotel and just wait in there for her to turn up. I get in there at 4.45 a.m. It's pitch dark outside. And, mate, she's already up stretching in the foyer waiting for me to turn up. So she was like like an athlete in her mindset. So she, you know, so she was just so determined, mate, when we trained in the gym, she went hard. She just she took it all serious, and you can just tell why she was so successful because she was just single minded and and very 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 disciplined in what she wow. did. Yeah, wow. yeah. We have to get the fan question in there because I'm a big Madonna fan, so I just needed to. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, and then, look, and she was, a, mate. I got on fine with her. Good chick. You know, she was obviously like it's a different world when you got fifty people on the payroll. Yeah, that, you know, are, are cooking your food. Your choreographers, your staff, your da 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 da. So she got used to getting told what she wanted to hear. 
probably not what she needed to hear at times. But that was that just went with the uh, territory, I would have thought. And I will say to you, um, like, let's get this out of the way now. Uh, the whole green turd situation with Dicko's toilet, uh, I think Amber owned up to that. So, um, <laughs> so. Uh, I yeah. mentioned no names. I, was Amber, I mentioned no names. I just said something. No, I know you didn't. But I think you only didn't mention names because you didn't remember whose name it was. <laughs> I, 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 I thought it might have been you, but I was not game to, um, to go there. No, well, bless you. Yes. Um, it, sorry, but hang on, Ben. Since we last spoke, has the turd turned green? Uh, I think it was always green. Uh, well, I mean, I probably it if it's still in the green. toilet in Vanuatu, I'm sure it's very green by now. That's but, what Dicko um, told me. <laughs> it would be green by now, yes. Yeah. Green at the time. But then I think it was Guy. You then said it might have been you as well. Like I think everyone had a green turn at no, one no, point. No, no, I did think they, you or? said it was maybe. <laughs> I reckon. I reckon Guy probably put the idea in Tamba's head, and, and then Amber <laughs> did it. No, it was definitely mine. I'm. I'm, I'm I don't know. I, I, I think saying I'm happy to own up to it might be going a little but too far. It's, but it's the fact that he had to get a branch to try and get it down the U bend. <laughs> that was that's the thing that sticks in my mind. Well, oh. yeah, I actually don't. Anyway, I, I he named me as having done that. I actually obviously don't remember. It's not something that I would do consciously. Did well, it make the book? I'll leave that to. Demo. <laughs> I'm too busy to flush that toilet. But anyway, if that's what happened, well, that's what well, happened. Certainly yeah. memorable. We've got to get past this green turd because I, ever since you mentioned it, I've had this image of Bob Brown in my head and I really want to get that out of my head if we can. So let's move away from the green turd, which I've never heard of before. I wasn't aware of the green turd. Oh, me neither. Do you know, the thing is too, Justin, um, I think that the thing is, I mean, yes, she was a bit more precious and, you know, who wants to be talking about bloody fruit flies at 5am and you haven't eaten? <laughs> you know, you've already haven't it. I mean, seriously, you know, there's, you know, I mean. Right, she was on your side, not mine. <laughs> I could be in a five-star hotel and if room service could arrive with my favourite food and, and, and still, you know, if he's trying to talk about fruit flies, still not interested. He was really beautiful, like, you know, um, not to go back to the turd story, um, but he was so beautiful. He was literally ready to just give me a hug the minute I was sort of off and he just sat down really authentically and said, let me tell you how you came across to me and some of the crew and he took me out to this beautiful restaurant. He bought me a bottle of wine. I was gagging for a ciggy. He bought me cigarettes. Like he was really gorgeous. He he helped really fan my you know, my my sense of, wow, I feel really good about myself, you know. Fantastic, fantastic. Yeah. Good to hear. And you should be thanking Anna Kornikova because if, if she yeah. ended up being a part of this, you would never have, you wouldn't be sitting here right now. I know. Anna Kornikova was going to be on the show? Instead no, of Amber. No, yeah. see, I don't like where this is going because David, <laughs> it doesn't matter whether it's 15 years late, he'll still go, shit, and we got Amber? No, <laughs> no, no. I told you I was thinking about switching to you. Goodness gracious me, Anna Kornikova was going to be. I don't know. I'm finding out all these things I had no idea about. Good to yeah. see you're a good listener and, and of David, Australian Survivor Archives, David. Thanks for that. I appreciate it. Um, just, David, just quickly. My dad, my dad said when I told him the Anna Kornikova story, I said, because um, I got flicked for her and then I got brought back on because she didn't get on the plane or something. And my dad, my dad said, oh, baby girl, you know I love you, but I'd flick you for Anna Kornikova. <laughs> I just want to ask a quick question of David Mason because this is one thing that firmly imprinted itself 
on my head in my head is the snake issue, right? So, yeah. so in the contracts and everything, it had said, you know, make sure you wear sneakers at all time, right? But it didn't say because you might get bitten in the toes and you might be dead in 40 minutes, right? Like it didn't <laughs> say that, right? Not that I read, but I am a bit of a skim reader anyway. <laughs> and I thought, so the minute I got to the island, I thought, oh, my God, I'm not wearing bloody, it's wet. I'm not wearing bloody runners and getting tinnier in this, you know, like life's bad enough as it is. <laughs> but it was only till I was standing on this bloody rock and, and Justin was out there trying to find, you know, the one fish in the ocean. Mm. And I was standing sort of waiting for him on this rock and this bloody really bright blue, yellow and black snake wiggled past and then literally stopped and, and came. And I wrote this in my book too, that it literally launched itself. I mean, it was so tiny but very bright. And it launched itself out and I was standing there going, oh, Michael, like I was literally shitting myself. I'm like, I, all I know is that it's very bright colours and that doesn't, <laughs> that's not a good sign. And, and then I realised later that it was ex- the same colours as our Survivor gear and I thought, shit, it thinks that I'm its mummy. <laughs> I was literally like, oh, my God, it thinks I'm its mummy. Shit, just go away and find, you know. Anyway, when I got off, when I fought, this thing finally went off and I ran onto the shore, and Fiona said, oh, that's um, the such and such a snake or something and, you know, apparently you, you could be dead in 40 minutes. So if I hadn't have had, because I didn't have sneakers on when I met my little mate, yeah. if that had bitten me, couldn't I have, like, come yeah. to you and said... No, no, that, that, no uh, a few little cross stories there. There is one type of snake. It is a sea snake. It's black and white, black and white stripes. And it has oh, this an one ability, has this blue and yellow, and, and it has tiny, tiny fangs, and it can only get through the faintest of skin. It typically goes through that skin on your thumb and and, and hand. That's where it, it can bite yeah, and actually get through. The, toe area. the shoe thing, the shoe thing was all about coral cuts. Coral, yeah, mm. yeah, so the, coral cuts yeah. which get infected and that then turns nasty and ugly. So that was, yeah. it wasn't about snakes with shoes; oh, it was about okay. coral cuts. Gotcha. And the other thing, Amber, about sea snakes is sea snakes have a very um, a very inefficient venom delivery system. They secrete venom. They don't actually have hollow fangs. So, oh, okay. you, for example, if you're wearing anything at all and a sea snake bites you, you will probably get no venom in the wound whatsoever, even if there's a wound, because they basically secrete the venom and it just gets caught on whatever you're wearing. So they're very inefficient. They have incredibly, incredibly toxic venom. Like right. a sea snakes range between two and ten times more venomous than king cobras, but the reason for that is that it's a it's a nature aspect of well they've got incredibly inefficient biting mechanism and delivery system, so they've got to have very very dangerous venom. But yeah, the chances of being bitten by a sea snake are minuscule. Where's Steve Irwin on the line here? David, like no, David, David. It's a mega zoom. David, well Albert. done. Not David, Jeez, this is crazy. Yeah, I mean obviously you know. The, the, the flip was going to happen because it was just we were, it was just one sided. So yeah, and the only one you lost is because of bloody Ben Win. Let's be honest, uh, that's the only one you Jeez, ended you, up. You guys with. are giving to him. Imagine if he's listening to all this. <laughs> if he's he listening, up, great. We, he's alive. We know he exists. We'd love him. Well, if you're you guys might Come not on. be. He might literally <laughs> do you both him. Probably. I mean, he's, he's probably got connections. I mean, look, let's be honest. He'll, he'll come on the show. I'll, I just won't be on it. Matt will be on it because Matt, Matt likes a guy. I've just been... Dave, David Mason, any any luck to get in the Rolodex, find out who he was? <laughs> yeah, look, the whole the whole Ben Wynn thing, um, 
that that was i mean I, we talked about it when we talked earlier the whole of that was us trying to eke out more episodes for the budget we had and obviously we're throwing money at all of you guys to to appear we couldn't have we didn't have the budget to pad out the entire 13 episodes i think it was with celebrity cast so we were just thinking of different ways that we could introduce people that were frankly going to be cheaper um than you guys and ben was was one Cheap. idea <laughs> and oh, um and, and the return the return of the cast which, to this what? day to this day i so regret it goes against everything in survivor um what? but that was frankly a way to get more episodes out of the cast we had what would have happened if he won david because he never had a charity would he what what would have happened you would have had to quickly I, find him a charity i really don't know i can't I, I i i don't think we ever considered that you guys the rest of the rest of the cast would let him win no. because <laughs> yeah, he's just too strong too i think uh, i think david and i and a couple of, we had we had a chat early on and just said no he's yeah. But he's, whatever happens, he's, we've just got him on the list to go to leave yeah. straight away. So it, ga- it yeah. gave us at least another two days to to not have to worry. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's what we kind of figured. Well, as, as, as soon as we found all the all the, the the spinach, the sugar cane, as soon as we found out there's a whole fruit fruit and veg up there in the jungle behind our tribe, then he was going after that. I think Leachy was like. Uh, all right, we got. We know where our food is, so he was yeah. off, off the chopping, yeah. chopping board. And I remember in pre-production when we'd set up tribal council and we did a, a pre-light um, to make it just to check that it looked okay, that it was real. And we did the pre-light, lit the flares, and I was looking at the monitors and thinking, "Holy Christ, this is Survivor. We're actually going to do this now. This feels like Survivor. We haven't got anyone there on the set." you know, besides some of our crew sitting in for you guys. And I said, this is Survivor. I can hear, I can hear the conches now in my, in my head, we're doing it. And that, that buzz. And then coming down to every single challenge or whatever, and the art department, what they pulled out and made it look like Survivor. Every single challenge, everything that they did, and they created and they built from, from scratch. And it, some of it looked fabulous. Some of it was small scale, some of it was big scale, but it looked fabulous. Looking at the rushes each night and thinking, yep, this is survival. This looks big. This looks every bit as big as the US show. But my biggest memory was the end of the final episode and the relief. I, I didn't care who, I couldn't, I could basically, couldn't even remember who won, frankly. <laughs> the relief. I'll, I'll interrupt. Okay, cut, cut. <laughs> That's a wrap. We've done it. We've got the show in the can. Well done, everyone. And just the relief that, yes, we've actually got this show nailed. Fantastic. Um, and, and if I can just finish it off, I just want to thank the whole cast for putting up with us because we put you guys through shit. And you returned and just delivered a cracking show for us and for the Australian audience. You guys made my life easy. Not all the time, but (laughs) 90% of the time, you guys made my life and our life in production and making TV so easy because you just played the game and you delivered. And and I came out on the show and said, thank you guys for doing that.
just quickly, one final question, and I'll, I'll acknowledge each of you and we'll say goodbye. Justin and David, right now, Justin, clear it up to David Oldfield on the line right now. Did you break his pot? <laughs> I cannot remember. You know, I love stirring the pot. So and breaking it and breaking it. <laughs> Shit, you know, I've never been too subtle in the kitchen. I, I, I'm pretty heavy-handed with everything I do. So, yeah, mate. <laughs> You David, anything, uh, anything to get out after 15 years about your precious pot being broken? No, look, uh, it's, fair, it's fair to say that uh, if I was ever concerned about Justin breaking it, I, it was probably only for the cameras anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah. but, you know, I mean, there, there was an element of it. I mean, let's face it, you talked about the rewards before. I mean, we had a mobile kitchen. You know, mm. uh, which we won, you know, which was really just a bench top. But, you know, you've, when you're cooking, you want bench space. You know, you do need room to. And we did have like a sink, didn't have a tap with running water, but we had a sink. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and so you, you did come to sort of value the pots and things to a degree, just, just in the sense of their necessity um, in what you were doing. But, you know, it was, it was all just sort of good, good fodder for the cameras. And I think Justin and I had some good, you know, interplay there at different times, which was probably helpful from, uh, you know, bringing some entertainment to the audience. And, and it was, it was great. You know, I really enjoyed it. In fact, I mentioned you in my book, Justin, um, I, I'm not sure I want Amber to get a copy of it because I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember. I don't remember mentioning Amber, but I did mention you and I did mention Guy and I think I mentioned Elton and, and, and in quite in very nice terms too, I must say, Justin. Um, so no, look, I don't have a single hard feeling about the entire thing, except I always have, yeah, it was a learning experience for me. It was a learning experience yeah. that I can make a mistake. I've always knew I could make lots I of don't mistakes. Know, you didn't make a mistake, mate. You, you just, the numbers went against you. They didn't well, yeah. I made the mistake of underestimating people's stupidity uh, in the yeah. face of what was logical and rational. And yeah. that in itself was a great exercise educationally for me at that point in time in my life. And I had it was only a hundred grand's worth. Doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't all that fussed about yeah, it. And you know that not a lot oh, of people know that that even changed me. Didn't change me. <laughs> I know. No, it would have been helpful. It would have been a lot more helpful now than it was back then, to be frank. An incredible trip down memory lane. And if you're wondering, there was one more episode where we had another guest on the show, that of course being David Oldfield. We're technically going to lump that into next week when we have the best of the non-interviews because we like to classify that final episode with David Oldfield as more of him sort of as a co-host. Didn't get a co-host credit, but he wasn't really a guest either. So uh, if that makes sense, then you'll be able to tune in to next week. Of course, if you liked what you heard, that wet your appetite, maybe this is the first time you've listened to Australian Survivor Archives or our coverage of season two and thought, hmm, I avoided season two. I didn't really want to listen to that, but those interviews sound interesting if you hit us up on all good podcast platforms, you will be able to find all those interviews, all of our coverage of season two. And of course, YouTube, you of course can see those video interviews. This is the first season we did video interviews. So if you want to stare at my ugly mug, Matt's ugly mug, and more importantly, the good looking mugs of all our celebrities that we had on throughout this season, search for Australian Survivor Archives on YouTube and you'll be able to find all of those on there. Next week, we will have one more best off to close out the year. We will bring you, just like we did with season one, the best of our non-interview episodes. So all the episode recaps and all the non-interview-based episodes that Matt and I did, of course, throughout season two, you'll be able to hear those next week. So uh, a lot of fun 
to be had there and you will get a huge amount of entertainment from those. So stay tuned for that. Obviously, it's been an interesting year, 2022. We've uh, had uh, not much content coming your way, unfortunately. But, of course, we did have the massive reunion for Season 1, which I'll touch on next week what we've got planned for that. Obviously, we'll still got some content that we did record from that that will come in early 2023. And also next week, stay tuned because we will update you on what is happening in 2023 and our Season 3 coverage moving forward. So the wheels are still turning here in Australian Survivor Archives, even though we're obviously not having those regular episodes that we had for a while there. There are still things in motion and we have got some great plans heading into the new year. So stay tuned. Big thanks to all of those guests who appeared on the show across Season 2 of Australian Survivor, our coverage here on Australian Survivor Archives. And thank you for listening to the show. Plenty to come. Get excited. Another Best of Clip show coming your way next week. In the meantime, I will say at the time of releasing this, of course, and this might date this episode a little bit if you're listening to us in the future, but Merry Christmas. Hope you do have a fantastic Christmas if you do celebrate it this weekend. And what a way to start your weekend by listening to Australian Survivor Archives. Really gets you festive, doesn't it? Gets you some turkey on your plate and all that kind of fun stuff. So uh, we hope you have a fantastic Christmas wherever you are listening. And Christmas just gets better next week with another Best Of show. So there you go. My name is Ben. This has been Australian Survivor Archives. And I think I'm going to close out, given that we did this throughout Season 2, a song that I never actually got to end an episode with, but I'm going to do it right now. It's about Guy Leach, the winner of the season. He's the best. The best. Nothing's going to stop him now. Here we go. Close it out with that. We'll speak to you next time here on Australian Survivor Archives. Try to be best because you're only a man and a man's got to learn to take it. Try to believe though the going gets rough that you got to hang tough to make it. History repeats itself. Try and you succeed. Never doubt that you're the one and you can have your dream. You're the best around. Nothing's going to Fight to the end, cause your life 